0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dialogue De Novo. I'm Jake Rome. First, some quick housekeeping. Please subscribe to the show and give us a rating. Feel free to share this show with any of your friends. Every week we gain more listeners, but we're always trying to reach a wider audience and these reviews and ratings and all the shares really help us accomplish that. Second, we have a live show coming up in a few weeks. It's the night before the midterm elections, November 5th. It's going to be 7 p.m. in room 1303 at the law school. Everyone is welcome to come. Feel free to bring friends. There will be food, we'll play some games, there will be prizes. In addition, Richard and I will be joined by two guests. We'll have Grant Bosnich of the Law School Democrats and Eric Hendricks of the Federalist Society. They're both good friends of mine and they are both impressively smart individuals so come to the live show we'll fill you in on everything you need to know and things to look out for when you are seeing the midterm results come in the following evening okay on to today's show richard and i sat down this week with nico ospina nico is a third year law student at loyola chicago nico wanted to come on the show to discuss his religious skepticism and his non-belief in god and we get into a lot of interesting topics. Uh, we talk about whether science could potentially be a useful tool in answering questions previously only answered by religion. Uh, that includes Nico's belief in a secular morality and what he sees as the illusion of free will. And I think that you will find him to be a guy with a lot of interesting ideas. A note uh, our conversation went for over four hours, so we decided to split his dialogue. Into two separate episodes. You'll be hearing the first today, and then the next half will be out early next week. So, without further ado, give it up for the great and powerful Nico Aspina.
1: Hey, welcome back to Dialogue De Novo. I'm Richard. I'm Jay. And today our guest is Nico Espina. He is a 3L at Loyola, and we are here to talk about God or not God.
0: Nico, thanks for coming on the show.
2: <laughs> Thank you guys for having me over. It's a pleasure. Yeah.
0: All right, so uh, before we get into this heady topic that we're going to be talking about, which is going to revolve around atheism versus theism, secular morality... Uh, and everything that branches off from that. Let's just talk a little bit about you, Nico. So you are from Colombia, originally. Bogota, if I'm not wrong? That's correct, yeah. Bogota, yeah. So Colombia, 80% Roman Catholic, is that right? 90% Christian overall, something like that? It's actually higher, yeah. It's, it's like, higher it's, than it's, that? It's
2: in the mid-90s percentile, Roman Catholic.
0: All right, so let's talk about... Uh, I don't know, yeah, mid-90s. Yeah, mid-90s, it's pretty high. Mid-90s, yeah. I mean,
2: you know, like like the, 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 the trend nowadays has been mm-hmm. that there's a slow... Uh, regression. Sure. sure. Uh, so, I mean, we can talk th- about this later on, but um, how people identify themselves as still Roman Catholics, mm-hmm. even though they may not adhere to what a Roman Catholic ought to be.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So, talk about the journey uh, from Colombia to the United States, and the German journey from what is a heavily Roman Catholic area of the earth to where you stand now as more of a secular guy.
2: Okay. Uh, so, I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Um, you know, it's the big Latin family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one sister, three brothers. Um, but I think, I think to understand how uh, my upbringing shaped my beliefs, um, I'm just going to quickly discuss, you know, just where my grandparents came from. Okay, let's uh, do it. So, from my mother's side, my grandfather was is Italian, so he was born in Italy. Uh, in the northern Alpine region, and he was extremely poor. Um, remember him telling us stories about how he would wake up with uh, snow-covered sheets. Um, snow-covered sheets? Yeah, like, like his bed sheets Columbia. were just covered with oh, snow. Oh, no, in Italy. Uh, yeah, in Italy. <laughs> in Italy. Um, uh, extreme poverty. Uh-huh. Uh, grew up in World War II. His uh, father was a communist, and his mother was a devout Catholic.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and the education system in the town he lived in was completely controlled by the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and he had a bad experience as a young man. Um, he would always have he all his whole life. He had issues with authority, uh, and obviously this didn't go well with his mother. Yeah. Um, so he grew up uh, abstaining from a, a religious uh, perspective in life. So he was a, he was he was an atheist from that side. Okay. Uh, fast forward, right? He makes a name for himself in Colombia. He does well for himself. Yeah. What brought him to Colombia? Um, do you know? So there was this great influx of Italians into South America after the war. Okay. Uh, there was just a lot of opportunity. You know, sure. Europe was in ruins. Uh, Good time. And move. the the destination for a lot of Italians was actually Argentina. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's why you have a lot of like uh, Italian ancestry in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother, my grandfather's brother, uh, moved first. Uh, made the voyage first. And he arrived to the port city of uh, Barranquilla in mm-hmm. Colombia. Mm-hmm. And when he arrived to Bogota, he just liked it so much he stayed. And mm-hmm. my grandfather followed suit. Um, the way he paid for his ticket was uh, cutting down lumber and working at a, um, a glass factory. Not, not glass, but like, you know, like uh, glasses for eyesight. Yeah, I- yeah. um, okay. That region is actually known for all these like big name brands like Gucci, Armani, they all come from that area. Okay. Um, and <laughs> from that... Uh, anyways, so he moved, he, he moved to Colombia from, from, uh, Italy. And then, so from my mother's side, long story short, it was a liberal upbringing. Although my grandmother was religious, it was almost like, you know, think what you want. That, that was, that was my grandfather's message to, to my mom and her sisters and her siblings. Okay. Think what you like, just be a good person.
0: Are they, uh, South American or are they yeah, they're all South, South American. America. Okay. So, so you're Mestizo? Is that what they call it? No,
2: or, no. I mean, uh, I guess I'm Latino. Okay. Uh, as uh, ethnicity, but as a race, I'm Caucasian. Okay. Yeah. All I right. mean, for those of is you that, that you don't, a don't know, term? I'm as white as milk. So <laughs> <laughs> so, he is. so I'm Caucasian. I'm white. i don't see color. I... But um, <laughs> I'm Latino. So so pretty much Latino is anybody that just comes from like Latin America. Sure. sure. Uh, Hispanic okay. is anybody that comes from Spanish speaking Latin America. Sure. So Brazil's not Hispanic. Right. But it is Latino. Okay. So, right.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and
0: then, so okay, so... So much privilege at this table right now. Similar, <laughs> similar to...
1: Uh, uh, during the pre-interview we were talking to Juan Perea, he said that um, he's Latino as well, and he said that um, people will treat him one way and then they'll hear his name and it's like a switch goes off and they automatically treat him as he was Latino, as if something changed which I found rather fascinating that he said that. But You have
0: a pretty Anglo name, right? Ospina, that is, sounds more Italian than anything, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, well, Ospina is, is, is Spanish. It's from Spain. It's from northern Spain, yeah. the origins. I looked it up once. Yeah. My Italian last name, the second last name is Chen. Okay. But that sounds more Chinese. Yeah, that Italian. It does, yeah. Um, Glad so. you chopped that off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyways, from my father's side, my grandfather came from a middle class family, yeah. a rural middle class family, mm-hmm. and he also came to the city and just made a name for himself, worked mm-hmm. really hard, mm-hmm. did fairly well, mm-hmm. uh, but he was a very religious man, mm-hmm. so he attributed his hard work to God. Sure. So, from my father's side, uh, uh, he grew in a conservative house, uh, a Colombian conservative. It's mm-hmm. kind of, there's some it's not the same as a, like an American conservative but right yeah. you know like a classical conservative yeah. sure and for my mother's side it was a classical liberal side so I kind of grew up with those two influences in my life sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure and since a young age I was I always went to Catholic school mm-hmm. we went to church
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I was always told to uh, that believing in God is a good thing yeah. uh, which I did I, I was uh, devout Catholic. no I wouldn't say devout I was like a a, a, a Roman Catholic I really believed in and Jesus and his message and the church, mm-hmm. uh, and then somehow along the way I got corrupted. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Pro- probably when he came yeah. to America. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so here's just just a last anecdote on this subject is yeah. which, uh, it's interesting because in, in when I when we talked about what the percentile of Roman Catholics are in Colombia, mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to find the exact number because um, maybe we can talk about this further on but there's a philosopher from tuft university daniel Dennett. Mm-hmm. Uh, i'm gonna bring him up a lot uh he talks about belief and belief how you have people who actually believe the doctrines of you know faith yeah the, the religion mm-hmm. yes and there's people who believe that the belief is good but not so much they don't follow it right religiously but it's a good thing to have in their life mm-hmm. and i think huh. from, from my father's I perspective that category maybe uh, yeah, I think a lot of people who claim to be religious, most of them, fall on, <laughs> most yeah. of them fall in that category. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's because it's, it's,
0: I, I think it's a comfortable position to be in. Sure. Uh, um, well, it's kind of hedging your bets. You right. know, you have one foot in both. Words. No.
2: So, yeah. so, so, so you look at the, and mm-hmm. in, in, in when we have lunch at my mother's side of the family, mm-hmm. every topic is, it's not, you can bring anything up in the table. There's mm-hmm. going to be heated discussions. Sometimes people get angry and walk off the table, but there's really nothing you can't talk about. Mm-hmm. When you're having lunch or social gatherings with my father's side of the family, there's certain subjects that you just shouldn't and ought not to touch. Mm-hmm. And one of them is religion. Again, mm-hmm. it's because it's very um, personal with the relationship they had with their father, my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Before he passed away, he, he left a, a letter to them saying that, you know, whatever you do in life, make sure that God's always present. Mm. So that's, that's a big, you know, uh,
0: right. Uh, well,
2: message to carry with you. Right. So, so to question God. Right. Is, uh,
0: rude. Well, it's it's to, almost, up, it's to uproot all the accomplishments. Right. It's, yeah, it's just,
2: right. it's not what a decent person doesn't do that. Sure. It's kind of like in the U S you know how you support the troops. That's unquestionable. Yeah. It right. doesn't matter where you stand. You support the troops. You can be against a a belligerent action by the government, but you always support the troops. Yeah, that was
1: a big thing even with uh, uh, the hippies made a point during the 60s in Vietnam, made a point to say, we're against the war, not the troops. So like even then. Exactly. And they were vehemently against the war. So it doesn't matter under what context.
2: If I ever say I'm against the troops, I'm being insensitive. And my head's not in the right place. Right. So kind of equate that with, with God and in Latin American culture, I say largely Latin American culture. Right. Uh, people always find it a little bit incredulous that, that you would do such an insensitive thing. You know, because think about your aunt and your grandma and right. You know, people. Who right. Really, truly believe in this. Um, but, anyways, sure. Kind of sidetracked a little bit there, but no, let me, no, no, let me no. just this jump really stuff. quickly.
0: <clears throat> so, uh, uh, you reached out to us and said that you wanted to come on the show and talk about this atheism versus religion. And then I added a few more subtopics into it in terms of secular morality and can science and religion coexist and all these questions. But I guess let's talk about how you came to have this belief system that you have now and how it became such a central idea to the way you view the world that you even wanted to reach out and come on the show and talk about it. And, and so how did you kind of come around to this?
2: Sure. Like I said, I grew up mainly Catholic, right? uh, Upbringing, educational, Catholic education. Um, I've I've always been a very curious person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always like to ask why, and how. Yeah, Uh, and for a long time, religion did just that. It fit the bill. I would ask questions, and I would get answers satisfactory question you know answers to to, to real questions i had
3: mm-hmm. what do you mean
2: uh so so just just general questions you have about life you know what is good what right. is bad right uh who or what is god mm-hmm. uh why is there evil um and there there was, there was always a satisfactory answer right for me at that moment
0: right well you're younger at this point in time too right. so the, so the i'm skeptical younger gene but, it, doesn't but it's, it's also
2: um I, I feel like there were answers that were meant to end the conversation they were satisfactory but they were meant to just end the conversation right. so so let me give you an example like if i was in catholic school and i, I we had this uh, teacher who always like once a month he would ask all the students to write any questions they had about religion and then he would just put him in a hat and he would randomly pick him out mm-hmm. and then if, if they were based on like uh, scripture or uh things that were like either in the bible or you could refer to the catechism for um we would have like a lengthy discussion but when they were more uh philosophical right Mm -hmm. like uh what came after god or or is is there is does is there life in any other planet you know things that teenagers ask but that there's no direct answer There were always,
1: like, these evasive... By the way, the answer is yes. There is life (laughs) in another planet. I mean, in the entire universe, there has to be.
0: Richard's making a hat out of tinfoil right now. (laughs) As we speak. I'm I'm positive I'm right here. This is a side note, but I'm positive I'm right. It is
1: absolutely egotistical of us for us to think that in the entire universe, now, life might be something different. Uh It might not be our form of life, but it's... in crazy for us to think that we're the only ones in existence in the entire universe the odds are stacked against us go ahead
2: so so answers such as like you're, you're asking me to be or play god and i can't do that you know? right, right 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 oh that makes sense
0: well religion has its funny way of making itself beyond reproach you know right uh, and,
2: and, and there's also again there's the certain interpretation of text there's and certain like that. topics that you just don't question mm. either because it's set in stone right right or it's insensitive. Right. It can feel like touching right. a hot stove. So, but the thing is that as I grew up, uh, they lingered. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. So uh, the curiosity never stopped. Sure. And I kept looking places. When I went to um, university, I went to Florida International University. It's a big public school. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with uh, Catholic upbringing or anything. Uh, and I, I got to, for the first time... I guess really delve deeper into questions. I remember there were days where I would spend hours in just Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to like some you got to do some research on World War Two and then you go from link to, link to link to link to link to link and you would end up like uh, you know, Greek mythology.
0: Uh, yeah, no I have
2: uh, had many um, of those nights myself. So that curiosity led me to science.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh
2: and the scientific method and and scientific explanations to the, the material world around us, and it made so much more sense. Uh, I guess one of the questions that people always ask me, knowing that I was really religious back, is like, how, how how were you able? Was it a tough transition? Was it tough for you? And no, it was a very gradual process. It was never I never struggled with having to leave you know, these, these dearly held beliefs behind is just, it was just a gradual, I guess, evolution, no pun intended,
0: you know, of, (laughs) of my train of thought. We'll let the pot sit for a little bit. Um, I I, I often think that religion does itself a disservice by not attempting to answer some of these more fundamental questions, because I think for a lot of young people, exposure to science and higher education does feel like a lot of tumblers locking into place, Mm -hmm. uh, when you start to get more concrete answers to some of these life's big, big questions, you know? Mm-hmm. That religion seems so hesitant to answer it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's really good at offering platitudes that soothe the mind but don't necessarily calm the mind, you know? The, because there's still a little bit of turbulence going on underneath mm-hmm. underneath the, the surface. So. When you went to Florida International, was that your first time in the United States? Or? Oh, no, 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 no. No.
2: I, I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 years old. Okay. So I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 years old. Uh, what, part, I, what part of the U.S.? Uh, Miami. Miami. Okay. Uh, suburbs of Miami. Mm-hmm. I uh, graduated high school, lived a year in France, came back, did uh, university. Then I lived two years in China, moved back to Columbia, worked there for a while, and now I'm here in Chicago. Oh, so, okay. All right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Jumped around a bit, quite a bit. Why France? Uh, my father, when he was young, he did one of these exchange programs, mm-hmm. uh, where he went to Ohio for mm-hmm. a year, and he liked it so much he actually he actually graduated from Ohio State. He extended his stay, mm-hmm. and he thought it was just a, a good life experience. You know, mm-hmm. it's like books can teach you so many things, but you know, being there, putting yourself out there. Can teach you so many other things.
0: Ohio, uh, often called the France of the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> it's not true. It's so, not, true. So I, I wanted, I wanted to go somewhere where I would Missouri, learn is the France I, where I would
2: learn a new language. Where you what? Where I would learn a new language. So that that was the only precondition I had. Like, so I don't want okay. to go to Spain. How and, many languages can you speak? Uh, well, I can speak uh, English. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, that's self-evident. self-evident. Yeah. We'll Span- let the, we'll let the people decide. <laughs> Spanish, Spanish is my native. Ton. Yeah. uh i can defend myself in italian mm-hmm. uh, but i can understand it perfectly yeah. uh i can speak uh french uh, professional business level i sure. guess and understand it as well and then chinese is also intermediate it's a it's a tough language so if i were to speak it i i guess i could impress those that don't know anything but those that do know uh mandarin would see the the, the portuguese you ever been to brazil uh no never been to brazil ah. um interesting but you know it's a Latin language, so it's not very. Yes, yeah, that,
0: uh, different. All right, Richard, do you have any more questions before um, we get into the bread and butter, or what?
1: No, but I do have a couple questions to kick it off. Let's do it. All right, sure. so I, uh, I just wanted to start with this. So, from this perspective, we're you're Jake's defending theism, correct? Correct. Yeah. And you're defending in in the you're I shouldn't say defending, giving an argument for atheism. Or for against religion, against the uh, uh, existence of God?
2: Yes, I like that better. Okay. Against the existence. You're giving a,
1: of God. A, an argument against the Yeah, existence. it's not so much against religion, but it's against, right. against a theist. Yeah, I understand. God. Uh, the, and I'm glad I cleaned that up. <laughs> uh, okay. How certain are you in your position?
2: Uh, I'll give you a legal answer. Okay. Beyond a reasonable doubt.
1: Right. Okay. So we're, but, but <laughs> so if I think to give you a percentile. I'd say, I'd
2: say 99%. Okay. Jake. Of, of a theist. Of a theist. Pers- of a theist guy. Yeah. So, so if, if, if you made the claim, okay, there's a creator mm-hmm. and he created the universe. Uh, there's absolutely no way that you or I could prove or disprove that. Um, uh, so True. I hold no position to that. It could very well have happened. Uh huh. But if you say there's a Creator, who created it in our, uh, who's you know created us in His image, and who created it for us, and who cares for us, and who cares about human matters, and and and, and add layer upon layer upon layer, that's where the certainty starts to move up more to the 99th percentile.
0: So you're you're saying 99 percent? Yes, correct. Jake, Same so question: How certain am I of Nico's position? Of your position? I I'm just defending this position so I can get the best possible responses out of Nico. Okay. I am I'm a secular human, uh, but I have heavily researched this and studied the arguments on the other side for the purposes of eliciting the most deep responses and what I think will be the most interesting podcast. Okay. For the purpose of this broadcast.
1: Okay, I'm gonna be honest. The uh, to me those are the same answers basically because. Really, all I wanted to hear was not 100%. Yeah. Because I think that anyone, especially in this topic, if you are absolutely certain of the non-existence of God, I, I think you're purposefully skewing the argument to fit your mold. On the flip side if you're a person of faith who Mother Teresa struggled with the existence of God, if you're a person of faith... Wasn't well, so that good of a person, Mother Teresa? <laughs> you should read, uh, you should read uh, Christopher right. Hitchens' Missionary Position. R.I.P. <laughs> um, but, but if you're a person of faith who has never struggled with their faith, I'm not sure I can trust you either. I And right. I shouldn't say that like that, but because... Um, I feel like both... I think... Uh, I think atheists tend to be more, or the side, I know you don't like the label of atheism, but the side of uh, the non existence of God, there seems to be more um, certainty in it. But especially when it comes from the side of religion, I think it is such a hard thing that if it's not something that you have struggled with, if you have never questioned why certain things have happened, if you, you know, the Holocaust, we could keep going, but... I want to every, go on record. I've tra- never questioned or denied the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> Wordplay. Uh, but if you, if, you, if you don't question why certain things happen and what and how could a just and loving God allow these things to happen, or how, you know, and on and on, I, I don't... Um, it's impossible to be 100% certain. So that's that's one thing. Now, on the flip side of that, I'm going to ask one more um, if you were proven wrong, Nico, and the and the existence of God were proven,
3: mm-hmm.
1: would you be happy about it? Oh not? yes, yeah, certainly. Okay, that's also a position that coming from a uh, a non deist standpoint, I respect. Yeah. Jake, other side. If I was, if you were proven that God did not exist. Would I be happy? Yeah, or sad about
0: it? I don't. I think happy would be. I know what I, you're I trying. I know.
1: Yeah, it's uh, actually more I, of the. I don't think happy is the a, right it's, word, it's, yeah, it, but I know yeah. what you're trying to say, and that's why. Yeah, disappointed I think I, on this side is what is really. Yeah, disappointed. Would you, I would not be disappointed. You would not be disappointed. I would not be disappointed. Okay, so you're. Uh, okay, so I see the balance here.
0: I, I think I have a more yeah. uh, exacting question for Nico. Nico, what kind of evidence would you need to see in order to believe the existence of God? What, short of Jesus coming down from a cloud.
1: Or other gods. Or Muhammad
0: coming down from a cloud.
1: Or mine.
0: Yours?
2: (laughs) There's a multiple variable of possibilities that could happen for me to be absolutely convinced that there is, uh, again, a theist God. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, so, again, I I think because of the position I'm taking, right, metaphysical explanations of the existence of God are insufficient. Sure, and we can get sure. the bread and butter of that. Layout. We absolutely like, will, but I, yeah, I you know we already me, talked about this. if yeah. you could give if, me a six or seven period, a verifiable, yeah. provable incident where it inconclusively proves the existence of God, and whatever that um, uh, observation is can be uh reproduced uh and demonstrated yeah of course yeah i mean that's
0: that's a no-brainer for me yeah i mean i guess i would like a little bit more specificity in the characterization of what that like i mean it sounds like we're describing something bordering on a miracle Mm -hmm. but like it's got to be a miracle that cannot be from the skeptic position picked apart in any other explanatory way i mean what would this miracle look like so
2: so so the problem with miracles Mm-hmm. is that it's a punctuation mark in intellectual conversations. That's where the conversation ends. Right. The moment you claim miracles. Right. So, so
0: anybody could claim a miracle. But I suppose that is what we're talking about. Like, so, so let me give you an example. This sure, is a okay.
2: typical uh, uh, example of a miraculous claim. Okay. There's a statue of the Virgin Mary and she starts to bleed. Uh, from her eyes right there's, there's, yeah. there's tears of blood and like this has to be this is in Mexico by the way mm-hmm. in Latin America it's like it. very famous um, I the here interesting thing is that people get excited about these miracles right and, and they rejoice mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's material manifestations okay. that are being used to prove the existence of the miracle if you tell me by, if you just tell me right up front oh yeah there's a miracle down the street I saw the Virgin Mary who waved at me you know, the, the statue of the Virgin Mary waved at me. Um, you're not going to, you're going to be highly skeptical, even if you're a believer, mm-hmm. unless you have some material evidence or proof. Now, let's say that did happen. Let's yeah. say, let's say there's conclusive evidence that it did happen. And I see it with my own eyes and everybody can see it and it can be explained. There's, sure. there's, it can be explained and it can't be, let's, let's just assume for the argument's sake that, this is all a thought experience exactly so, yeah. so let's just assume that um it can it's 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 this material manifestation of the miracle is um provable beyond a reasonable doubt i mean it's crazier <clears throat> yes it would shift completely shift the foundation of my belief system yeah mm-hmm. but yet it wouldn't uh, uh uh verify or prove uh
0: that jesus was the son of god no, I mean there's a whole other subset of claims. I mean, like it's gonna, even if we could prove that there is, a quote-unquote creator, uh, it still leaves open for debate. I think a lot of what we're gonna talk about here tonight, which is, <clears throat> we're gonna focus on morality and and secular morality and the relationship of science to morality. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: By the way, I just wanna I just wanna add this. I forgot to mention it at the beginning, but I think it's uh, it's ironic that we're having this under a Jesuit. <laughs> uh, yeah, institution. Yeah. We're perfect. What we what I like is, they uh, said we could cover anything. As you, long. Yeah, yeah, I no, but I, I anything
1: like but abortion. I like it. No, <laughs> we can actually cover abortion. We just can't. We have to. Uh, we have to have a pro-life around. We it. have to put yeah, push back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. on, on so, any army. I I love
2: Loyola. I think it's a yeah. fantastic academic institution. I love the people. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm extremely happy with the education I've received. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because no matter how hard I try to push away from the Catholic Church, I always end up. Falling right back in, but do you yes. guys know the motto of
1: Loyola? Under God, uh, uh, uh the glory of God. Yeah, is ad, 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 ad majorem de, de gloriam. For the greater glory of God. Yeah, for so, the greater glory of God.
2: So, mm-hmm. so we're having this discussion under the, that banner. The Jesuits are an intoxicating
1: piece, sort of. We're having this discussion under Dialogue De novo, de- 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 <laughs> and let me tell you, if they were to shut us down tomorrow, I still have all the login passwords, so... We can do this without him. I'm just Quite quite a bit of ammunition. Um,
0: (laughs) All right. So you sent me 10 bullet points of the fundamentals of your argument, which, by the way, listeners, sounds like it's a helpful thing. It's the most terrifying thing ever. Having the guest argument laid out in front of you uh, is a daunting task. But I don't know if you want to do something more freeform or if you just want to go through point by point of the substance of your argument or what.
2: Right. So uh, you know, we can do a hybrid of both. But okay. uh, the reason I did what I did and, and provided you guys with the, the 10 bullet points of like, my, my overall argument sure, is because I, I wanted this to be a discussion, right?
0: Oh, I, I don't love you worry.
2: tough questions and I love being under pressure when you know, these intellectual uh, exchanges because there's no better way to learn and improve as a person, right? Sure, right uh, sure if you shield yourself from criticism you're doing yourself and others a disservice that's well, my personal view that's
0: one of the biggest things that I've taken away from this podcast so far is that you you have nowhere to hide over two hours mm-hmm. like if, if you have somebody who on, on the show who knows their stuff there's literally no respite over two hours you're gonna sound like an idiot if you right. don't know what you're talking about and uh, I intend to hold no punches against you but uh, it is it feels like you're almost getting the debate notes before the debate you know Uh mm-hmm. When, Which uh, is rare. Yeah, when, uh, when Al Gore got George W. Bush debate notes. Do you remember that? Uh, uh, never mind. Um, I,
1: was, so, I was 10 when Bush won.
0: The scientific method...
1: Again, <laughs> again when Bush won. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: the scientific method has proven to be the best procedure for studying and understanding the observable, the observable universe and in ourselves, including how the mind, consciousness, and values can arise from matter.
2: So, there's a lot to unpack there.
0: There is, But let's yeah. start
2: with only the first part, which is really just a scientific method. Uh-huh. So, um, what I like about science, there's a misconception about what science is, because people usually confuse it with uh, an ideology. Uh, but I think it's it's more of a method of understanding or reaching knowledge. So... Let me backtrack a little bit and start um with why i think this debate is important or this discussion it's not a debate um so aristotle identified four questions we might want to ask about anything mm-hmm. right? so number one is what is it made of or its material cause. number two what is its structure or its formal cause number three how did it get started or what is its efficient cause and number four what is its purpose or its final or telic cause? So I think science uh, has done a pretty good job with the first three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really uh, conflict with a religious belief system. I think where the real battle is in number four, which is the meaning, the purpose of things, right? The telos. Exactly, yeah, the yeah. telos. That's, and then science uh, has claimed that this is irrelevant in some sense. Uh, which I think that's kind of like I don't agree with some scientists would say that I don't say I, I hate using science as an aggregate like. Uh, mm-hmm. but some scientists would claim that that, um, um, that has uh, it's the wrong question to ask let's put it that way we're talking about
0: four number four yeah purpose okay.
2: purpose yeah. itself so uh, and then that's I think that's we need to have that discussion later on in the in, in, in the podcast uh, about morality right secular morality if you want right right but so so for now um, let me let me um, so what I think you know what I like what I enjoyed what caught my attention about the scientific method so so you know science comes from the Latin word "scientia," which is knowledge right yeah Uh, and it questions everything that's the thing I like the most everything is questionable Everything and anything is questionable. There's no sacred or off-the-shelf topics that you cannot
1: touch, right? So, I don't want to mm-hmm. cut you off here. No, go ahead. My religion does teach that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah.
0: And I encourage it. Yeah. I encourage it. You always got to be on the edge of your toes if right. you're a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Every Cause shadow cause, is the death of your people. Because people are acting so Right. Yeah. So, so...
1: <laughs> um, Again, you know... It's probably why we've been so successful, actually. It's, it's really <laughs> unfair <running>. to,
2: <laughs> to just... There's you know, hundreds yeah. of thousands, tens of thousands of religions out there, and you can't just pack them under the term religion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are religions that have certain topics that you cannot discuss, or you should not discuss, or you ought not discuss. Mm-hmm. Or they have been resolved. Science has no place there. Okay. Um, For example... Uh, Morality is one of them. Morality, yeah, right. Um, uh, The reason for the universe being the way it is, another one. Um, I think it's more when you start to get into the realm of the metaphysical. Um, So, for example, like uh, even if you're a Christian who believes in evolutionary biology and who just doesn't question the age of the universe or the earth uh, and that we are a product of that evolution you have to reach a point where you say ah yes but revelation and that's where we're getting these you know celestial beliefs Mm. uh and that's a form of faux pas you know conversation ends there but wait 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 why revelation at that moment in time in history it's it's there and it's in scripture right
1: Mm.
2: But anyways I'm, i'm getting ahead of myself so 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 I think uh, uh, something to just clear right off the bat is just the concept of theory in science. I think people uh, make the um, error of equivocating a scientific theory to just uh, a theory used in just layman terms, mm-hmm. right? So a theory in layman terms is just you're just throwing out ideas, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, scientific theory is closer to what we, you know, a layman would say as a fact. Right. So, so when you say a theory as a layman, you're really saying a hypothesis. That's what right. you're saying. Right, untested, unverifiable. Exactly. exactly.
1: Yeah. So it's also, yeah, it's it's hard to become a scientific law. So that's why they most of the, that's why evolution, that's why uh, global warming, that's why all yeah. those things. That's why they're, they're theories instead of yeah, yeah. instead of law and, because and, they yeah. haven't been absolutely proven like gravity has.
2: Well, that's the thing nothing in science is a, like given right until it's all the, theories that's this is this is one of the reasons i'm, I'm glad you brought right. that up because this is one of the reasons i don't like the term atheist uh, mm-hmm. i'm not offended by it uh but i just i just think it's misplaced because um uh, you know you just mentioned gravity we're all gravitationalist, you know uh it, but we don't carry that term with us mm-hmm. we just right. take it as a fact that theory that the theory of gravity is a fact, a scientific fact. Right. What that means is that uh, there can be a better way of explaining the phenomena of gravity. That it, it won't replace what we know about gravity, but it will supersede our, our understanding of gravity. Yeah. So uh, the clearest example of this is, you know, uh, Newton's laws of gravitational force.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, greatly expanded our knowledge about how the universe and and, and material objects, you know, interact with each other. Uh, and for many centuries, it uh, served as the basis for understanding these interactions until Einstein came with the theory of relativity, and it superseded Newtonian law. So Newtonian law is still good to explain most of the phenomena we see, but, but it, it, it reaches only so far, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's where the theory of relativity came in. Um, anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the scientific method is, again, this is, again, I'm a layman. I'm not a scientist. My undergrad was not in science. I never took a science course, really, other than just the biology requirement.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I'm just, I guess, a scientist enthusiast.
0: Sure. No, uh, same. Yeah.
2: Um, so, so here's my understanding. of You make observations of mm-hmm. your immediate surroundings, uh, either in material objects or abstract notions like mathematics. From those observations, you, f- you ask questions and you form hypotheses, right? From those hypotheses, you try to uh, form a controlled experiment with uh, clear parameters and, and variable checks.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then from that, you get data.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you interpret that data. And from that data, you either prove or disprove the theory you made at the beginning. If it reinforces the theory you conceived, <clears throat> Uh, the the hypothesis it becomes a theory Mm. and then here's the most important part about it and the part that i love the most is it's open to the public to the scientific community at large and you're free to criticize it every it's open the protocols are set anybody can reproduce it if you find a false in it it's retracted immediately so scientists are well aware of of that pressure Mm -hmm. Uh, actually I, I, my wife's a PhD student right now at Northwestern mm. uh, and she she showed me once an article about how um, a lot of PhD students suffer from depression and it's because they they I think well the work they do is just crazy you, mm-hmm. you know you think we're busy at law school then you don't know you know a PhD scientist but they also know that their works gonna be criticized you know mm. and and they don't have like we have a clear uh, vision of the end of the tunnel. We know when we're going to graduate. You know, you just fulfill the credentials and you're good, and you walk and you get your diploma. They don't graduate until they get
3: good uh, uh, the data. Yeah,
2: until they're able to prove or disprove their theory. And most likely, it's always a pressure to prove it,
1: right? There's there's actually um, there is research to show that the higher the intellect, the higher the rate of depression is, mm-hmm. and I think some of that has to come has to do with a basic under a better basic understanding of the world than most people have and knowing that there's not really anything you can personally do about it and there's there's always going to be certain amounts of suffering there's always going to be certain amounts of things and so i think that that's the the that's where the how do i put this the what's the word i'm looking for um not knowing the ignorant that's why the you see ignorance i mean we've seen we have turn on the tv we have idiots in this country they're thrilled to death about nothing and yeah. uh, it's, yeah. that's uh, that's i think that when you focus on so many terrible things in the world and so many all that you and you ha- you know that there's no way you can possibly reverse some of these things I, that the with higher with higher intellect that often comes along with it
2: yeah i mean the, the world is complex yeah. you know? human institutions <clears throat> are complex and, and it requires deep adult thinking you know mm-hmm. so uh, this is not to say there's not bad science there's terrible science out there <laughs> sure but it auto corrects itself and this is something that religion severely lacks because religion one of the things that it does it, it's it claims sole authority <laughs> on important issues that you know conduct human behavior Mm. right uh and the problem there is that you can't there's really no process to
0: uh, improve it
2: let alone question it
0: right right i mean all right so i mean my first objection to this first clause Mm -hmm. of point number one yeah so we're at the very fundamental stages here is that uh you went through the aristotelian notions of observing the universe right. and uh you you thought that science was avoiding that fourth prong the telos the purpose Which well that's that's a claim that a lot of make that science has no place in it i i right i mean so what do you say to the people who say that science cannot possibly answer number four and maybe i'm getting ahead of ourselves too but i think that it's important to note that right off the start uh I mean science does have its presuppositions of its own it's self-justifiable in the way that it treats the importance of evidence and the importance of data and observable facts and phenomena and that there is this set of intellectual priors that scientists approach a subject with that uh, logic and facts and data are the best way to explore the universe and there's no good way for science to explain why that is the case. Do you see what I'm, I'm, the challenge I'm trying to lodge here is that science is not without its own assumptions. I I think I understand. And here's what I would say to that.
2: So we all carry our own bias, right? Right. What I like about science is that it slowly sheds away those bias and it does it through time. So, Yes, scientists massage data,
0: scientists manipulate data.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, Some, mm-hmm. I mean, I would
0: say that the fact that scientists are even amorous towards data in the first place oh, might be yes, a bias. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah.
2: So, um, mm. But the great thing about this is, give it enough time, it will auto correct itself. Mm. Because really, just, just be honest, we don't know anything. We're thrown into this savage environment, you know? And we have uh, different ways. That we could try to explain it. Mm-hmm. But I think the best one moving forward as a society uh, is through scientific inquiry.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's get to the second part of bullet number one because sure. this is where I'm going to take issue. Why don't you read it? Uh, sure. After uh, the comma, it
2: says So, including how the mind, consciousness, and values can arise from matter.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think you might know what I'm gonna challenge. No, I, I, in that. I know.
2: So, right. So so I am of the position just yes. that there are no metaphysical uh explanations to natural phenomena. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, even if there are metaphysical explanations for material phenomena that we see on a day to day basis, it would still take some sort of reproducible methodology to say it put it that way to understand it right because anybody could claim a metaphysical truth anybody can do that right mm-hmm. you can just throw anything up in the air uh and then again religion has been a around the block for a long time and they've had a lot of time to you know chip and churn at the way they want to approach this right um uh, but when you really listen to the religious argument there's always this point they reach where the conversation ends there. Uh, whether you're Jewish or Christian or Buddhist, there's always a point of uh, origin, right? There, they have a real problem with infinite regression. I think that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, once you you accept the fact that they're that you know we, we just don't know how could you claim you know. Don't know, well, Revelation and Scripture, and okay, well, what's the evidence for that? Well, look at the Scripture. So you're claiming Scripture is correct by citing your Scripture. I mean, that's, you know, it's lost. Well, that's I mean, just, I think that's, that's just that's,
1: w- I think that's why they call it
2: faith, though. Right, exactly. And that's, well, that's exactly. I, mean,
0: I, I, I would I would say something here that, uh, <clears throat> from the standpoint of the theist, mm-hmm. uh, they don't have a problem with infinite regression. They use, science's logic to explain infinite regression i mean you cited aristotle so i don't even have to cite scripture to say that aristotle had a theory of this unmoved mover this right. guy who sets actuation in motion but I'm not, I'm not who citing, has to be self-actuating i'm not, you know? I'm not
2: citing aristotle to make a, a, a factual claim i'm just citing aristotle to set the you know the conversation sure right? sure not saying that because aristotle said this it is thus correct mm-hmm. right um religion does do that Mm
0: -hmm.
2: because this is in scripture right it is thus correct Mm -hmm. end of discussion and then you try to elaborate a little bit more on that and then that's that's where the conversation reaches a halt right Mm -hmm. because um you like richard just said you gotta take a leap of faith Mm -hmm. the faith is the opposite of the scientific scientific scientific, uh inquiry that is required to reach you know I think meaningful
0: knowledge mm. in the first place. So I don't wanna to get too bogged down into this right now, but I do wanna just add what I would call a tab to the mind, consciousness, and values. Right we can get
2: we can get to that later. But, yeah, but my whole we're like, gonna my,
0: we're gonna really get into my, my, my point the relationship is, though, of facts that, and values. That,
2: that we're not there yet.
0: We're not there yet. But but
2: science is and will answer those questions.
0: Questions of value,
2: questions of uh, value and, and what it is to have a feeling of consciousness. Mm. And that, so let me, let me put it this way. Okay. Uh, Everything that goes through your mind is a product of the brain. It's organic matter that manifests itself in consciousness, morals, values, beliefs. And uh, I guess that's my stance. That's, okay, that's, let's leave it at that.
0: Okay, yeah, because I don't want to get too bogged down to it right now, because that's going to be the fun part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tonight's show is brought to you by uh, Rustling Papers and Bullet Bourbon, by the way. Um, <laughs>
1: it, it is not brought to you, he was kidding about the last part, we're not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> In my
0: house is private property. Uh, all right, so point number two, bullet number two. Because the scientific method encourages skepticism and peer review, the procedure is devoid of any institutional dependency and shielded from absolutism. I agree with shielded from absolutism. Devoid of institutional dependency mm-hmm. is more of a empirical s- statement yeah. on my part as to whether or not funding is really devoid of right. any kind so of
2: So I, I had, I had um, it's funny because be- before sending this to you guys, I obviously showed it to my wife to see what she thought. As any um, good band does, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she did, she did raise concerns about that specific part that you bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to say that it's, uh, it cannot be institutionalized because it clearly is. You, right. And you'd be surprised how restricted uh, academic uh,
0: research right is controlled right.
2: Um, so that is not what I'm arguing.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't want to what, pin you to the wall on that right. either, because no, no, I have no it's interest not. in doing not. that. So, yeah. so
2: what? What I'm trying to say here, though, is that there's absolutely, you, this, institutions cannot impose restrictions on the way you conduct research. There can be alterations to the way that the research is conducted per se, but any deviation from this uh, rigorous. Um, testing and data analysis and peer review. Uh, again, it, it goes back to the argument that time
0: will self-correct any deficiencies that get through. Right. I mean, I guess, and maybe this is me taking your position too much is from the scientific perspective, facts cannot be adulterated by any institution exactly. that like, no matter how much of a restriction the institution imposes, it will not change the facts as they, exi- so as they, as they exist in the, even universe.
2: if they're adulterated. Right. Um, uh, It will come to light sooner or later. Sure. That's my point. Sure. Yes.
1: Okay. Uh, This point does not... uh, I'm not exactly sure how it proves the absence of a deity because I feel like agnostics, Mm -hmm. agnosticism, is also uh, devoid of institutional dependency and shielded from absence. Well, this is just one premise in the... Right. formulation of yeah i understand
0: but, the, right. but as far as that goes at that point
2: well richard let me let me ask you a question yeah.
0: right
2: why are jewish boys circumcised
1: um because they told god told abraham to do it so we've all done it since uh, there was also there's right. also health so that's con- the there's point. also health concern so, so there's today yeah. well today. there were then
2: right but let's 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 leave that discussion aside so there's uh, a lot, of, a lot of Jewish Old laws Testament based, claim.
1: A lot of Jewish laws actually based specifically in that. Mm-hmm. The uh, there were diseases or bacteria getting into foreskins and they cut off the foreskin. Right. There so, was okay. I'll, I'll grant co- you that kosher laws, right? Shrimp, uh, bottom uh, feeders, pigs were filthy. That kind of dilatoria. okay. I'll I'll grant you that. Yeah.
2: So because of health concerns, Jewish boys must be circumcised. Mm-hmm. That's your theory, right? If I ever question it, or if I find a better way, right, to uh, protect the health of young Jewish boys without having to mutilate their bodies, mm-hmm. the Jewish authorities are not going to rejoice and say thank you, you know, Doctor Aniko for improving the system we have
1: for improving the health. They're of not the going to change their methodology, is it's, what you're saying? Yeah, they're not going to change. I their would agree with dogs. that. Okay, so yeah. so that's that's where I draw the distinction. I mean, they. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure the evidence has proven them right on that one. <laughs> Wrong on the pork thing. Oh. <laughs> and shrimp. And shrimp.
0: But, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's go to point number three because I, for the most part, am with you on point number two. Darwinian evolution by natural selection is the best answer we have so far to explain the proximate origin and development of all life on Earth. Mm-hmm. I'm with you there, too. Okay. I'll grant you that point. Uh Point number four.
2: Well, hold on, dude. Oh. Richard, you want to bring anything up?
1: Um No, I I mean this is this isn't only the strong survive argument, I f- agree with that. Well
2: hold on, let me let me just
1: add something quickly here. I think
2: um, You know, I, I grew up hearing this survival of the fittest, survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. So what is the survival of the fittest? I think that's the wrong way to approach it. Uh, uh, it's more about adaptability.
1: So let me let me just. Listen. I would argue that adaptability is what the fittest is. It could be right. It doesn't yeah. have the so, same ring so, to it. And I so like to
0: whisper "survival of the fittest" to right. myself as I flex in the mirror in the morning. <laughs> I don't so, so adaptability. So, so there are species... And <laughs> I don't. Um, and I never do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but go ahead. So
2: so it's it's so um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of. This is something I I I realize that there's. It's a evolution is a concept that is misinterpreted Uh more often than not Mm um uh uh, the philosopher daniel dennett which i already mentioned he this is a definition he gives of what evolution is evolution is a gradual purposeless non-miraculous transformation of noise into signal over billions of years purposeless yeah purposeless okay let me uh i'm just i'm just trying to just feed information and then we can talk about that information okay if you just do a wikipedia search this is what this is what wikipedia tells S- sure evolution is change in the heritable characteristics of biological populations over successive generations these characteristics are the expressions of genes that are passed on from parent to offspring during reproduction so how are these heritable characteristics of biological populations change over successive generations that's through natural uh, selection. Hmm. Um, what is natural selection? Well,
1: and actually, in that regard, there's uh, you could blame religion on a lot of diseases because of people like Jews have. Jews carry certain traits. Certain, uh, other communities carry certain traits and diseases that are unique to their environment, to their community, mm-hmm. because they've only married within their communities. There's a, said, there's yeah. a
2: fantastic book. Uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. Mm-hmm. That kind of touches on what you're talking yeah. about, uh, which talks about you know how you know, we in the West have been fed, how the glorious European uh, power is overthrew the weak Aztecs and Incas. And what Jared Diamond does is he takes this evolutionary approach to people and societies. Um, and one of the hypotheses that he throws out there is that because European people had access to domestic animals, such as sheep, cattle, uh, bulls, uh, that would help them with their manual labor. It actually facilitated um, the uh, speed that their societies, their hierarchical structures evolved, and that uh, the germs that they carried by co-inhabiting their environment with these domesticated animals uh, was actually a lethal weapon that when they brought to the Americas uh, decimated the Native Americans, mm-hmm. uh, well, not Native Amer, well, it's in Columbus Indigenous. say, yeah, Native Americans, generally speaking, but like, you know, the Aztecs and the Incas yeah. and the Mayas, uh, it's an interesting concept because it's true. The geography, the topography of, of where you grow in your immediate environment is not so important now because we're just so connected. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from a historical perspective, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Um.
2: But anyways, let me just quickly just finish off. Just you know, what is natural selection?
0: I just, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I want to put this yeah. out there because I feel like well, it's important people, we define our terms as right, well. Right, right.
2: So again, I, th- I feel like I always feel like there's better people to say it than me. This is Richard Dawkins. Uh, Forget yeah. he's a militant atheist. Uh, Only just, a matter of time till right, it came up. Just,
1: <laughs> just, just focus on the biologist. Yeah. Um, you know that he and Brett Weinstein had. An- debate yesterday in chicago i know we i go. know oh well, i didn't know
2: that that would have loved I know. I we'll love to go yeah. see it too um it's funny it's funny how people can wear different masks mm. uh, here's here's an interesting example um uh, monday there was uh, the international law society through um it just opened in loyola mm-hmm. uh, and they had a speaker professor um cough i think was his name um it launched, it, sorry, Loyola launched the Institute of International Law and Practice, and the lecturer was Professor Harold Kahn from Yale University. Um, and he was a legal advisor for the Department of State under Obama's administration. Um, mm-hmm. And this guy, I mean, he's a mad. Maver- I mean, this guy has published more than 200 articles. And he's got so much experience. And he gave this whole speech about his upcoming book, which is the Trump, administ- uh, Trump Administration and International Law. Mm-hmm. It was just, um, I was expecting the scholar to speak, and it was more the politician. Yeah. And it was just a bash on Trump and how Hillary's so great. And uh, I mean, I learned some things, but at the, you know, question time came in. Of course, I'm the first one to raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I had two questions. And yeah. I'll tell you why I had the first oh. question, which is the Im- important one. I wanted to ask him as an insider, what his take was on why so many millions of decent rational Americans voted for Trump over Hillary. Um, and then the second question had to do just with, you know, if, if Trump has done all this damage, you know, come 2020 or 2024, what can the U.S. do to, you know, uh, 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 repair the damage done? But the, the key one here was the first one. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see if he would concede anything, right? Like where did the either the Democratic Democratic Party went wrong? Where did it go right? And he gave me the most politicized answer ever. He gave me what you know, man. You keep hearing over and over in the news. It's like, well, Hillary Clinton won the majority of the votes, and I did not ask that. That's not the point. Right. Uh, <clears throat> he said that there was Russian collusion. I'm like, man, I don't care about that. You know. And the reason I bring this up though is because this is uh, sorry to deviate from the That's alright. That's alright. But The Trump winning, Trump Trump winning the election opened my eyes to a lot of issues in American society. Uh, Me too. Because I, I had been uh, fed that it's not lies. It's just, I had been told. That Hillary would win easily. I remember looking at the New York Times and there was a predictometer where she 95%. had a ninety-nine percentile, yeah. ninety-eight percentile, and Just slowly watched that go down to yeah. zero, and then it was shocking to me. It was shocking to me. Yeah, not and no. you know everybody was shocked how could Trump would win, and then you know go on with their lives. But I'm like, what's going on here? You know, you're telling me that neo-Nazis voted for Trump. You're telling me that the alt-right voted for Trump. You're telling me that there was Russian collusion. Fine, I'll, I'll grant you all those. You know. Yeah. There's still millions of Americans, decent right. Americans, that prefer Trump for one reason or another. And then you kind of start digging into that, and then, you know...
1: I, I gave a, I refuse to acknowledge the racist argument that neo-Nazis... The, oh, but this is the, All these people came out right. of the woodwork. The last guy was black. You're telling me that all those people just stayed away while he was running? Yeah. That doesn't make any but that's, sense. But that's
2: okay. I can, I can grant yeah. you that. All the racists voted for it. So, so here's the problem. If that's all you go by, yeah. that racists, Nazis
1: outright you're still right. discounting right
2: so then anybody really practically who's a republican yeah uh is wrong it's just diluted it's just crazy and it does a disservice to 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 um the discussion at large anyways i got off tap, off topic but let, let 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 me go back to what i was telling you about uh Natural selection. Na- Dawkins bodies. on natural. Selection. Yeah, natural selection is the differential survival of successful genes rather than alternatives. Less successful genes in gene pools. Natural selection doesn't choose genes directly. Instead, it chooses its proxies, individual bodies, and those individuals are chosen, obviously and automatically, and without deliberate intervention by whether they survive to reproduce copies of the very same genes. So it's just basically the proposition that organisms will have mutation. Mm -hmm. and not all of them get to reproduce Uh, and those that do get to reproduce get to pass those genes to the next generation Mm -hmm. given enough time again we're talking about millions of years tens Mm -hmm. and hundreds of millions of years you'll get speciation right and we are a product of that that's Mm -hmm. who we are as -hmm. human beings if Mm -hmm. you're being honest that's what the data shows right and you have all these fields of science we're talking about comparative anatomy embryology and development the fossil record, DNA comparisons, observable evolution, predictive power evolution, nested hierarchies of traits—all these things, right, tell the same story. We all have the same origin. We all share the common ancestor, and it's 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 very hard for people to swallow that truth. And and for the, and for those that do, and here's what I found at this moment intellectually. Um, challenging for me is having these people who accept this truth and still find a way to fit in their religious beliefs mm-hmm.
0: um anyways <laughs> yeah let's fun. let's get on because i want to get to the the fun part but i want to make sure we get through this argument before i kind of jump in with too many of what i see as the best challenges i have in my best my back pocket
3: because
0: mm-hmm. uh, i want to give for the benefit of the listeners more than anyone else the foundation so that they can follow along and track our discussion. Okay. So, point number four, the evidence is the evidence overwhelmingly demonstrates that humans share a common ancestor with all living organisms that have ever existed on this planet, dismantling metaphysical claims that certain human elements are exempt from the forces of macroevolution. Again, I don't really dispute much in there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, some people would question the metaphysical portion, but overall, I think... I just, if you have an issue with that, I just, I just gave the explanation.
0: Right. Uh, I think you've set the record straight in terms of how you feel about that. And in terms of defending the theist view over here, I don't think that I necessarily even need to fit the metaphysical into this part of the argument. Like it can exist in a more revelationary way, like independent of this evolutionary Fair enough. enough. Okay. Uh, point 0.5 we're halfway through because humans have gradually evolved throughout hundreds of millions of years all cultural norms including socio-political institutions and belief systems are mere social constructs that arise out of the necessity to satisfy immediate needs um, I only uh, circled hundreds of millions of years and drew a little arrow to the last part where you said immediate needs because I thought those were a bit in contradiction with each other I guess if we're talking about a long-term longitudinal view of how humans have evolved, mm-hmm. there's no reason to believe that the sociocultural political institutions and constructs have arisen to satisfy immediate needs. I, I, there's no reason to believe that those aren't passed down in some kind of intergenerational way to satisfy broader cultural needs. So what I
2: mean by that is that we are the process of hundreds of millions of years of evolution. That doesn't mean that humans have been evolving for hundreds of millions of years. Correct. That just means that we arise from single cell organisms. Right. And gradually evolved to the point that we can call ourselves humans. So th- the definition of human as is, right? Mm-hmm. It, like, what, what, let's say you could go back year by year. Yeah. And then generation by generation. and be okay. like, Oh, that's a human. Yeah. That's a human. That's a human. I think it won't that that can only take us as far as again this is speculation but it's a, it's what I call a calculated estimate right sure. based on on what anthropologists have um, sure. concluded about 200,000 years okay well, 250,000 So
0: immediate years. in terms of the timeline of the entire archaeological record right so okay. so,
2: so exact okay and then and then in, in that time frame I just mentioned say roughly 250,000 okay. years I just wanted to stipulate culture, to that point. Culture is really a novelty. Right. Uh, and then what I mean about the immediate needs, that's what I mean. You know, when we found ways of collaborating and of uh, having, uh, you know, when, when we moved from a nomadic to an agricultural society, then sure. we got more people to live and coincide with each other. There sure. were these immediate needs that required different rules. Okay. So that's what I mean
0: by that. Okay. No, I just wanted to make sure that we clarified Yep. Six. However, since our understanding of our immediate environment is limited, our social constructs are intrinsically flawed and thus filled with inconsistencies and contradictions. I have nothing to dispute about that right now. I'm willing to let that go.
1: Okay. All right.
0: (laughs) Seven. As we gather more information about the physical environment around and within us, our notion of how we ought to live shifts. I think um, this, is gonna, right. this is where you're gonna. Right. So I mean, like. Get far, huh? Right. So now you're making a nor- normative claim mm-hmm. out of purely descriptive scientific observations. Can
2: you describe for me and for the audience what you mean by normative?
0: Normative is a a value-driven uh, how we ought to conduct ourselves. Okay. Any anytime you hear the word "ought," we're making a normative claim, okay. like how something should be, and. Traditionally, it's been thought that you cannot derive normative claims, value-driven claims, okay. from pure facts. Uh, that is, that dates back to David Hume. Uh, he was a philosopher from Britain in the early 1800s. Uh, he posed this problem that's called the "is-ought" problem. How do you bridge the gap between what is and what ought to be? Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if you want to. No, no.
2: I. I do you want to linger on this or get through the this rest is, of the argument first? This is first? the. Um, uh, David Hume argument is is too odd, right? Yeah, is odd. Uh, 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 no, no, no. His is is his is too odd or yes, yeah, yeah, correct. How do you get from is to odd? Right. Um, so this is the, the the dualism argument that I think the, the cards also makes in res uh, uh, cogitans and sorry, my my Latin's really bad, so maybe you're gonna have to help me there, Richard. Colchitans, I think it's how you say
1: it. I'm just going to say, like, if it was I, Italian. I don't know Coach how you turned to me, but and, okay. And, and,
2: well, didn't you say you, you learned Latin?
1: I took Latin in oh, okay. high school. All right. Sorry to put you on the... Yeah, on the, a couple <laughs> okay, so years in college, day. but... Uh, and then Kant's... not do great there. Kant's,
2: uh, I think, he also critiqued Kant. Pure reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kant, yeah. <clears throat> so, um... This is this dualist approach where you... Where the mind is separate from the body.
3: Right?
2: Mm-hmm. Um... I guess from what I've read, but I don't know much about it. But I think there's a silver lining for, uh, I guess atheist people, right? Or Secular movement, because uh, when this theory came out, uh, it was almost like it was a truce between uh, the Catholic Church, who was you know the predominant religion in the geographical area where this you know hypothesis was brought up, and the secularist, right? Where he, because because the, here's what I mean. Because the card claimed that religion has uh, science has no realm in in questions of the mind, right? That's purely religious uh, questions. Science was free to uh, question and experiment on any other areas except that. And I guess for many centuries, the Catholic Church was okay with that because it wasn't directly being attacked, right? So. I don't know what you have to say about that. Do you think, do you think uh, uh, there was like a silver <clears throat> lining there?
0: I mean, I could see how that might be a, a truce, but I don't see how that goes to the fundamental challenge that I'm ledging against that premise, which is I still don't see how you can look at a set of facts and derive any kind of values right. from it.
2: So th- th- the reason I bring this <clears throat> up is because this is an area that science is severely lacking. Uh, any sort of like credible... Explanation. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ready to concede
0: that. Um, well, I would I would argue that science is impotent and right, that right. it's unable right. to. And, and that's what a lot of people claim. And, yes. You know, like look, you know, science has nothing to say
1: about what's good or bad. Um, right. I I would agree with that. I think there when to touch on something when there's a uh, you know that shall not murder is a thing when you look at that from a scientific standpoint there's not really a reason to for that to be unless you add morality and it's hard to add morality Ever we're the only creature on the planet that does not believe in well as far as we know because they're not saying anything but that doesn't believe in murdering our own species for benefit so there's there is morality and and you can also when you look at a Society that it was built on uh, religion, when that it, it was built on. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I hate this term because I feel like it's used as such a political point. But when it comes to say Judeo-Christian values and how America <laughs> was basically founded on, it. yeah, now this yeah. is this is a point right. worth making. But let, sorry, So let me say that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at say China, that is a purely secular.
2: That's debatable, but yeah, but no, well, I, I know what you're trying to secular say. Secular in, in the I'll meaning
1: that. that they don't believe in a deity they believe that as far as the definite as far as a deity in religion they believe that that i guess it would be xi Jinping would be their quote unquote god right now no but uh, no but say all right so say mao when mao's dog overthrew, no. him, he 80 he killed 80 million people no
2: they just you know? took the secular idea to an extreme right uh, my point it's...
1: is look at their human rights right as opposed to ours they will throw political prisoners in jail, they'll use child labor. That's, it's a
2: relative, and it's a discussion for another day. Again, I don't want to be defending uh, uh, a totalitarian regime. Yeah. But yeah it's funny. It's murderous it, For the listeners, <laughs> they, they should also look at this. The China releases their own human rights survey. Uh, and I trust and, them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying, again, never, ever take something at face value. Always yeah. question it. But this yeah. is the good thing it's like again it's the same thing that you see in in uh okay, man i don't want to deviate too much but you see in a lot of like liberal universities mm-hmm. right where any talk of conservative values is immediately shut down yeah and it's immediately labeled as insensitive as unthoughtful. You don't say. Even racist. <laughs> racist sexist, misogynist, so, so, bigoted, homophobic, yeah. Yeah. transphobic. Yeah. Look, yeah, right, for, right, here's right. the thing. Even if yeah. it is, there's no better place to bring it up than an in, you know, academic institution.
1: You're supposed to be challenging ideas. You're supposed to be
2: challenging ideas. Otherwise,
1: it's four more years right. of So
2: I think uh, the U.S. as a culture, as a whole, mm-hmm. Republican and Democrat, also kind of suffers a little bit from that at the holistic approach uh, where we and we alone can dictate what human rights are and what human rights are being violated across the world. Now, China, like I said, they have their own report. It's mostly garbage. Yeah. But there's some truths to be... Or some interesting notions to be learned from it. Uh,
1: it, it just... I mean, there's per, there's plenty of religions yeah. that are... There's plenty of countries that are founded in certain religion that are horrific on human rights as well. Mm-hmm. But... I would say that China does it in a more systematic approach, that they do not care about killing people if they're if they're deemed in, uh, not valuable. I, I wouldn't phrase it that way. Uh, well, um, eugenically speaking, they have no use for mentally handicapped. They will kill them huh. if you're born with uh, defects. Again, I, I think that's uh, over-exaggerating. Um,
2: so, so I guess what you're trying... What, I don't want to put a Kathy Newman on you like what you're trying to say is. <laughs> but I think where you're trying to say <laughs> re- Never, by the way. No, that's not what I'm. Saying. <laughs> uh. I think where you're trying to go to is that um, there's less ethical and moral barriers when it comes to decision making in Chinese politics. And that is something I can agree with.
1: Right, I think they have a lesser respect for human life because of the ethical and moral barriers. I
2: disagree with that. And please, guys, ask me to come back and we can have this discussion at length. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, in in just in interest of staying on topic, I'm staying
0: out of this one for now. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, we, I, should we Should we change topics? Okay, no. let's change topics palestine yeah (laughs) (laughs) just kidding uh
1: yeah yeah, Um, also
2: so going back to this dualist argument yes just generally speaking i think
0: it's flawed and i I think that science just just so we get back on track we're talking about the distinction between the theory of the mind and the theory of the body Mm -hmm. that they are in two separate realms so i
2: think they're one and the same
0: you think that there's a unity of the the mind so
2: so um christopher hitchens uh editor-in-chief of vanity fair he he, he passed away a couple of years ago right he was a atheist and he was more of a contrarian more than anything he, he yes. liked to stir things up yes uh i think he put it better when he said um we are not created in god's image god is created in our image mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's absolutely truth
1: um god I hate that quote because of how so, how good it is. <laughs> it, I ju- I'm angry that I didn't come up with it. Go ahead.
2: So, so we attribute human uh, personality traits to God, right? Mm-hmm. We have there's so much contradiction in religion, and this is another topic for another day. But we, you know, they claim he's omnipotent, all knowing, and yet he has all these necessities and needs, and he's jealous. He's a jealous God. He's I, a loving God, but he's a jealous God.
0: Well, I am always taken by how like. Four out of the ten decalogue are about how God should be held above right. all other so the gods, So yes. you're, talk, you're talking
2: about the ten commandments. Correct. And the first four are all about Him. Right. Uh, again. Depends on which religion you're looking at, but yes. Yeah. Hate Him, hate Him, or. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for correcting me on that. Hate Him or love Him. Richard Dawkins, in his book, The God Delusion, he yeah. lays out ten commandments that he thinks uh, could substitute uh, the. Judeo-Christian versions of the Ten Commandments. Just give it a look, you know. I think they do a better job, you know. I think they do a better job. Well,
0: this is a point that Sam Harris makes a lot, too, is that you could open to any given page of the Quran or the Bible, and you could find something on it that uh, you could edit, you know, with a few different eyes on it and make it substantially better. I mean, <clears throat> that that is uh, because... the the argument for God has evolved over time, where... And it's constantly evolving. uh, Yeah. Where this idea of why suffering is permitted and how that fits into this idea that God has a plan for all of us Mm -hmm. has shifted into, well, God knows what happens because he exists outside of time and space. Yeah. Um, But he doesn't necessarily have day-to-day control over our narratives. And then you wonder why there isn't more about abortion in the bible i mean of course abortion wasn't around in mesopotamic times but uh if god exists outside of time and space but you I, think you I, want to put I, some I little most easter the, eggs in there for us most yeah.
2: of the problems very arise right? because religion doesn't matter which one has claimed again I, and I said this earlier a monopoly over what you ought to do mm-hmm. and then people are slowly starting to question it mm-hmm. whether through science or not mm-hmm. right and you're normally going to get this tremendous pushback, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think we can at least agree on this. I think we all can agree on this. Regardless of whether science can lead to what the value or morality we should be having, right? Mm-hmm. It can definitely assist in whatever claims you have about what's good or bad. So, so say, for example, that uh, a certain religion claims love your child right and that's all it says love mm-hmm. your child and let's assume just for the argument's sake that religion has uh, uh science has nothing to say about it
3: mm-hmm.
2: um science can still tell you what's the most efficient way to love that child right mm-hmm. so so for example just to give you an example now we have this term of helicopter parenting right Ugh. <laughs> so, I roll. so where people <laughs> i literally <laughs> rolled my well well intentioned people mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. who deeply love their child are trying to do the best they can right but different areas of science have demonstrated right or are trying to demonstrate that that might perhaps not be the best way to raise your child sure right sure uh, i mean uh it's a it's a let me give you an example yes a, a lot of parents right who do this type of helicopter parenting mm-hmm. try to uh, uh, avoid any sort of discomfort on their children because they associate discomfort with with just bad or evil whatever you want to call it actual pain exactly right. actual pain or trauma right right this is counterintuitive to uh, the theory of exposure this is something that uh, clinical psychologists use for people who have phobias. Yes. So say you have arachnophobia. Right. Right. You have fear of spiders. Right. No clinical psychologist in their right mind will ever say, well, the solution is avoid spiders or all cause. If you see a spider run. Right. right they right. will do this exposure theory where they're right. slowly, uh, they won't force you, but slowly start to introduce you to what you're afraid of.
0: Right. To so the point first, they theory. might show you a picture of a spider, exactly. then like a stuffed animal of exactly. a spider. Then maybe a spider in a cage, and then to, eventually you're okay
2: with to the point where right. with the phobia is not a problem anymore.
0: Well, yeah, and it right. seems uh, ludicrous or right. or
1: uh, a parody of itself. It's this is actually, and I don't want to get too off track here, but this is actually um, one of my favorite points to bring up. You, you mentioned parenting, uh, and especially in the in regards to religion, because of time and again what we've seen. So. There are certain traits that a, a parent, I'm going to say mother, that a mother must possess in order to love their child. Correct? Okay. Because we've, we've all seen it. We've seen mothers that don't love their children. Uh-huh. So, what trait must a mother possess in order to love her child? Oh, I don't know. Just throw anything out there. Oh, I don't know. Why, what would cause a parent... Uh, affection. What, affection. Right. Wanting them to... wanting. To make the world easier for them, mm-hmm. wanting them to thrive, knowing that it's a dangerous place, protection.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Anything else? Anybody want to throw out anything else? No. I okay. mean, there's there's those are the same reasons that every person who has committed an act of genocide has used to justify it in their mind, and that's how easy it is to pervert an idea.
2: Yeah, I think I think this could take us down. Yeah, this could take us down a rabbit hole, direction. but it's
1: it's a it's a point of. Just because things are done in the name of a religion doesn't necessarily mean they're correct. Okay.
0: So I want to make a different point other than the genocide, Um, which, yeah, I'm perfectly willing to capitulate to the point that you made, which is science can absolutely help us better understand the values that we already have and embody.
2: But that's a start because a lot of people don't concede that point.
0: Well, I've already said that. I think science is the best method that we have to make descriptive inferences about the world. But uh, in terms of, I I don't know that science intrinsically has anything to offer as to why those values are good in the first place. Like, I don't know that there is a scientific reason, and this is obviously what we're going to get into once we get through just the the 10 bare bones of your argument. Uh, I don't know that science can proffer a reason that a mother should love her child in the first place without making some sort of value statement that is beyond the scope of science. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, let me just
2: add to that. Quickly. Okay. Um, so you say that science can't explain why a mother should love her child in the first place. I right.
0: think that... Wait, can you say that louder?
2: Oh, sorry. I uh, I. think I, What I think you said is yeah. that uh, science can't explain... Cannot. Cannot explain yes. why a mother should love her child.
0: In the first place. In the first place. Right.
2: Now... What I would say is if you look at the evolution of species, especially mammals, you just look at mammals, Mm -hmm. for example, a a grizzly bear with her cubs, extremely protective, right? Those are traits that are favorable, right? Mm -hmm. A deep connection with their cubs. Yeah. And I would argue that it's the same for humans. It's been favorable for mothers to have a deep connection with their children. Over mothers who are disconnected from their children.
0: You know, grizzly moms also eat their babies. right? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, and sometimes, and
2: sometimes, human mothers neglect their babies and you know throw them down rivers and whatnot. Yeah, but that the whole was, point that the was ho- my point. But okay. Again, the whole point I'm trying to make is they floated it- Moses
0: down a river, didn't they? He was <laughs> in a basket, <laughs> a bassinet. Yeah. Give right. it, uh, give it
2: enough time. She even gave him shade. Never mind. Go ahead. Okay. Give it enough time. It's gonna be evolutionary advantageous. From mother to be loving to her child than not so i guess that's just the short answer. right right, right. i mean let's, let's finish it let's finish the bullet points right because i feel like we're then, then we're we'll dancing into...
0: and taptoeing around like yeah. and we're dallying around what we really want to get into uh-huh. but i feel like it is important yeah we're on number eight we only have three more to go so eight these paradigm shifts create friction with and within pre-existing social barriers a fact well documented throughout history i'm i'm i'll stipulate to that
1: yes absolutely right I have no... Yeah, I didn't... I don't have any proof to... Or any evidence to disprove that. Paradigmatic
0: shifts occur throughout history and they create friction and rub up against one another. I mean, you can even just look at the 20th century. Great. Okay, number nine. Because religious and political dogmas proclaim to be the sole authority on human values and morality, they shield themselves from strict scrutiny at the expense of constantly having to reinvent themselves. I'll even stipulate to that, Yes. Yeah, because there's, uh, again, this, this bullet point doesn't necessarily make any claim about the veracity or inveracity of those political so or here's religious a, here's things. So here's
2: an error that a lot of atheists commit. Yeah. The evil in this world is caused by religion, period.
0: Right, right, right.
2: That's, yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yes. Right. There was murder so, far before there was so, religion. And, and they get caught in these weird debates and discussions about whether Hitler or Stalin were really religious or not. Mm. And what I try to get to is that's irrelevant. Yes. It's irrelevant whether they're religious or not. You got to look at the way uh, uh, that they were ruling. And the way they were ruling were through dogmatic absolutist claims. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Nazi Germany and, and and Stalin's communist Russia and...
1: Well, Com- uh, communist Russia was always not religious but right but yeah. you could
0: take communist doctrine
1: as a form right. of religion yeah. the
0: whole well. point the whole point
2: is that it wasn't a, a secular society by any means no there was this whole cult right yeah these mm-hmm. these these claims made mm-hmm. whether by interpreting Marx, Karl mm-hmm. work or or otherwise that this is the way it is you do not question it you question it you die mm-hmm. and that's the problem
1: mm-hmm. right there's actually and then as far as hitler's concerned there's actually pretty solid evidence to show that uh, as, I, as I was saying earlier with the to justify genocide he um, manipulated people's religion. he did not have a personal religion but manipulated people's religion and used it against them in order to get them to fall in line for what he was uh, preaching
2: and he he had ludicrous belief systems right where he based on what he claimed was science, and that is not true. Right.
1: I mean, he uh, he opened, openly lied to, uh, to everyone about everything. He would so. measure
2: people's noses and, and, yeah. and eye colors and, and made these ludicrous uh, uh, proclamations unsled, yeah, based on statute, nothing, on yeah. just thin air.
0: Yeah. I mean, the same way that you could technically say that Jonestown was a secular gathering, but yet when it came time to drink the Kool-Aid... <laughs> Really, only Jim Jones is in charge there. Okay, uh, last bullet point. Dunk him in the river, see if he plays. Uh, Last bullet point before we get into the fun stuff. All right. Um, Ten, only by accepting that it is up to us and us alone to devise cohesive and inclusive universal social institutions can we begin to maximize the well-being of all species in our planet. Um, When we come back from the break, which we will be taking a break now that we finally got through all these, uh, I want to dig into your definition of well-being because okay. I think that this is something that Sam Harris and his moral landscape kind of yes. struggles with as well. Absolutely. Uh, and then we'll get into more with this relationship between facts and values and where exactly you think that well-being and the rest plays into this. Okay. Yeah, All I right. actually
1: think this point is contradicted by your argument against a deity later. But yeah, I am interested. Anyway, we're going to take a little break. Um, We will be back shortly with the second part.
0: Now a word from our sponsor, Bullet Bourbon.
1: Nico, we're going to get into, is there evidence for God? Can religion and science coexist? Is there such a thing as secular morality and is there free will? But before we get there, Nico, we wanted to jump in. You brought this up on the break. Um, How Catholicism in the first place came to dominate Europe. Great, yeah. Where did you want to kick off from then? Thanks, Richard. So
2: the, the reason I want to talk about this too is because you guys did a three-part series on the sex scandals. We uh, did? Surrounding mm-hmm. the Catholic Church. I uh, recall doing I that. heard them all. They were all great. Pretty painful research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Amanda Burns, who's a good friend of mine. Yeah.
1: I especially and Nick Zouch is a good friend of mine. Everyone else can go to hell. (laughs) And Professor Breen, whose class I'm currently in, and want a better grade.
2: And (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned him because I especially enjoyed listening to Professor Breen. I mean, he's someone who really knows his religion.
0: He does, and he
2: knows the structure and hierarchy of the Catholic Church. And if you know whether you're Catholic or not, and you're wondering. How it's structured, how their jurisdiction plays out. Uh, give it a listen. Um, it's it's it's. I think it's extremely helpful that, for you know, understanding. That interview
0: is is really a primer for anyone who doesn't know anything about the Catholic. It, it there's an anthology of knowledge in that one interview. We had, yeah, we, we had a direction. No, no credit to Richard or myself.
1: We actually, yeah, I'll say this: we had a direction for how we wanted that interview to go. Mm-hmm. And in the first five minutes we basically threw that out because of where he started at where it was just such a fascinating discussion but i'm with you yeah
2: so so i just wanted to give my perspective from someone who used to be a catholic is now an atheist Mm -hmm. uh on just a a quick overview of the evolution of the church to now and why these sex candles are so important Mm -hmm. Um so first is you know what the church is or, or where is it born from? And uh, uh, I think for all questions, the best place to start is the catechism. Uh, the catechism is the hierarchical constitution of uh, the Catholic church. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to know what the Catholic church thinks or defines certain terms, such as sin, morality, uh, apostasy, you go to the Catechism and you'll get the answer there. Mm-hmm. So, so in the Catechism it says the Church is born primarily of Christ's total self-giving for all salvation, anticipated in the in the institution of the Eucharist and fulfilled on the cross. So, you know the Eucharist is is you know turning the bread and wine into the body of Christ. And Church, um, again, that's oversimplification. Please listen to Professor Breen's explanation of what the Eucharist is. I think he does a better job. Uh, but anyways, I think that's the fundamental premise of of justifying the church Mm -hmm. it arises from christ's total self-giving for our salvation Mm -hmm. um and this entails that the church and the pope are infallible again if you want to understand really what it means to be infallible and how the catholic church views it go to the catechism or do a little bit of research but what this pretty much means is that they're free from criticism Mm -hmm. or at least this is what they claim right Mm -hmm. Um so how did the church came to be the dominant religious force in Europe uh, I think the starting point would be the 4th century with Constantine the Great he was a Roman emperor Uh long story short right before a battle he claims to have had a, a vision when he looked up at the sun there was a, um, a cross of light and underneath it um was um Uh, the letters or the saying in this sign you will conquer and the story goes that Constantine uh, commanded all his soldiers to put the cross on his shields and he won and he attributed Christianity to his victory Uh, and this led to him becoming a Christian and it led to something called the Edict of Milan Um, and this decriminalized uh, Christianity in the Roman Empire before this Christianity was uh, punishable by death Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really this uh, moment in history that saw religion going from being a group of persecuted people to an institutionalized force um, mm-hmm. you know advance again I'm, I'm, I'm going really fast here but go, go to the middle ages and again you can see how the Roman Empire obviously did not survive but religion uh, the Catholic Church was able to uh, supersede political regimes by claiming a monopoly on um spirituality and uh this led to a belief in middle ages of divine right of kings right so kings could rule because god mandated they could rule so god ruled the spiritual aspect of life and god's ruled the material world through the grace of god so that's that's where that saying comes that through the grace of god that's where it comes from And obviously, you can see how this can give the Pope of the Catholic Church so much power. Um, Kings had to get his blessing in order to have uh, a justification to rule over their people. Uh, Okay, so during this time, also, there's a concept of indulgences that comes into being. Mm -hmm. So, again, look at the catechism for what an indulgence is. An indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven, which the faithful Christian, who is duly disposed, gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with authority the treasury of the satisfaction of Christ and all of its saints. Now, historically, this was just a mere way for people who had sinned to... um, clean their um uh, i guess bring back the balance the sinful nature of the act itself and it usually consisted of uh prayers or visiting a holy land um, for example um, but this eventually became corrupted and what the priesthood and the, pa- the pope and kings for that matter began to do is they monetized the idea of indulgences uh, they began to uh, offer a way that if people paid money to the Catholic Church, uh, they would be offered an indulgence which would absolve them from any sin. Um, again, it's not this simple because you can look at there's the, the Catholic Church differentiates between types of sins. Some sins can't be uh, um, eradicated from indulgences. But still, it offered a way for people who committed uh, sinful acts to put it that way murderers prostitutes you know mm-hmm. to pay their way crusaders to pay their way uh, into heaven uh, obviously this was a very lucrative uh, endeavor because not only could you use it for yourself but you could also use it for those that had passed away already so if you had someone in your family who had committed horrible sins you could pay for an indulgence on their behalf so they could move either from hell to heaven or from purgatory to hell, uh, heaven to heaven
1: you mumbled there for a second. Did you say ludicrous or lucrative? Lucrative. Lucrative.
2: lucrative. Okay. lucrative. Yeah. Sorry, I, I meant to say lucrative. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Blame it on my Hispanic. Heritage. No, no, that's
1: okay.
0: <laughs> no, that, yeah, that's okay. Um, this is an equal opportunity podcast. And right. An
1: equal opportunity right. offender. Go so, on. so <laughs> what? What? What?
0: What you started to see in
2: medieval ages was these professional partners that would go around, mm-hmm. and their job was to extract as much money from people as possible. That's why when you go to Europe, especially Italy, you see these churches and these cathedrals that are just absolutely stunning. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they bring out the glory of God <clears throat> in all its might. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just all these sculptures and art, and gold, and, and Trump Towers of and Europe. Beautiful, exactly. <laughs> um, but that's how they were paid for, for the most part, right? Mm. For the most part. So, obviously, this uh, began to, uh, it got out of hand. Know, again, long story short, it got out of hand. Uh-huh. And then Martin Luther, uh, who oh, I forgot he was if he was part of the church or not, but uh, what he did was he created the 95 Theses, which is right. 95 points uh, of why he disagrees with the behavior of the church. Uh-huh. and he posted it on the cathedral I forgot of the city where he was the whole point is that it created this huge controversy mm-hmm. right because it brought the light the corruption within the church mm-hmm. right again because the church as a religious institution is infallible and is right and is absolute it cannot deviate from what it has claimed previously mm-hmm. so the only answer it had to this was even stronger backlash right obviously this didn't sit well with a lot of people and A lot of rulers saw this as an opportunity to take matters into their own hands. Um, Again, this is a very complex issue, but it's a very interesting point in history. And this led to the 30 Years' War, which was really between Protestants and Catholics. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Fast forward 30 years, thus the name 30 Years' War, and it leads to the Peace of Westphalia. That's where it came from. The Peace of Westphalia, it's it's actually noted in international relations as Mm -hmm. the origin of the international system as we know it today because a lot of people claim to be including myself the origin of a sovereign state right of and that's what protestant is product protestants i'm not an expert in protestantism but what they claim is that you don't need the middleman the church for salvation mm. it's a it's an even deeper personal relationship all you need is the bible and your faith mm-hmm. you don't need an institutional church like the catholic church that's the main difference between protestants and catholics
0: right this is something that i pushed uh, professor breen on a little bit was i asked him about the fact that <clears throat> the catholic church doesn't necessarily have a monopoly on faith and if there comes to a point that you realize that there's so much disease in your institution that it's almost impossible to cut it all out without killing the institution itself would you consider leaving the Catholic Church? Right. And he was, uh, with what you're elucidating for me now, very reluctant to answer in the affirmative because he did believe that the Catholic Church was necessary right. in, in interpreting they, the Word of God. So I, I, I don't yeah, want to put.
1: His, I think his justification was actually. Um, these are people, and just because people are corrupt doesn't mean my faith changes. So the way I understood it, and I don't want to put words in his
2: mouth, but please, I, I, keep, I can't stress this enough. Go listen to his podcast. I thought it was in, incredibly informative. But from what I took from it is that when you asked him that question, Jake, right. his answer was that the Catholic Church is more than the institution. The Catholic Church is the people. Mm-hmm. The people are the Catholic Church, not the institution. But there's some contradiction there, and, and and yeah, right. And there's room for a little bit more clarification on what that
1: means. Right? Exactly. Um, there's also a point that I think you you said that um, one of the main differences is that Protestantism does, uh, you don't necessarily need the church, but the Catholic Church also does preach that salvation is not found through God and faith alone. It's also found through good works. Yes. So I, I, I'm curious as to um, because that's a we don't need the you, the Protestantism we don't need the church, but as far as Catholicism, it, it sad when I hear quotes like that, it sounds like I guess the the difference is they do they think they do need the church, but the church is not enough in order to be justifiably good again mm-hmm. i'm
2: not an expert in protestantism yeah but the way i understand it is and the, the rupture oh, the, that, reason, that for the, rupture, the reason for the though. rupture yeah. was because they saw corruption in the catholic church right mm-hmm. and Within the catholic churches. church did mm-hmm. not move its position how could it It can't again right, right it's it's not it's not a process like the scientific method that it's open to constant scrutiny and criticism sure it, it doesn't work that way
0: it doesn't course correct as right agile as right. perhaps so says. so they're yeah. not big on being told yeah. they're wrong yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> fast forward again yes. fast forward the, the the church did hold land they were called the papal states again if you want to know more about it listen to professor green's podcast because he
0: we'll have to have green on for another and length another about body. this yeah. but
2: uh long story short during italy's reunification they lost all that land and they, they actually they lost all territory right so they were the catholic institution was uh in other words, homeless right um mm-hmm. uh, but here here's an interesting fact because I'm, I'm an italian citizen as well i have dual pa- i have two passports i have colombian passport and italian passport people like to think of italy as like this ancient uh, uh you know hist- like country that has thousands of years of history and sure colombia as a nation has more history than italy as a country so Italy was unified in 1861. Colombia declared sovereignty in
0: 1810. Wow, oh, there you go, Colombia. Yeah. yeah. So, right. so,
2: so I don't know. It's just a fun fact to throw out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maybe anyways, for you. so what <laughs> happened? The, the church finds itself without uh,
3: uh, sure a
2: geographical place of its own. Uh-huh. And you're in fascist Italy, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Mussolini. Mussolini. What's the problem? Most of the Italians are Catholics, right? Uh-huh. So. Uh, they find a way to work together, mm-hmm. right? To create a, like a symbiotic, beneficial relationship between mm-hmm. both, and that's the Lateran Treaty, uh, whereby the fascist Italy gave land to Vatican again, small, one of the smallest countries we have today, uh, and in return, the Vatican uh, gave its support to Mussolini. Um, actually Pope Pius the Eleventh, which was the Pope at the time, was known for claiming that Mussolini was the man of Providence. Um, which again, take it for how you want it. Um hell of a guy that Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so that's so that's how you get to what the Catholic Church is today. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, right. So why are these sex candles important, right?
1: Yeah. Right. So again, this, this I um, actually want to before we dive in there, yeah, I want on. to jump back. You mentioned at the break that it's a very important part that's missed is why the need for Protestantism. I'm sorry, can you elaborate? Um, that that, that, it is, that the, the break during Protestantism, that when Martin Luther posted those things, the break, why that was... why that is so... Uh, it's such an important point that right. it's being it, ignored.
2: It's, it's, it's an important point Because it's the first time that the Catholic Church was actually confronted. And when someone looked at it at at its face and said, you do not own a monopoly on what is right or wrong or good and bad.
0: I don't want to articulate your point for you, but I think that you as a skeptic Mm -hmm. would be especially admirable if somebody who comes from within the church and points a skeptical lens at the Catholic Church. Yes. And... So I think,
2: I think Catholics are, you know, uh, it's your faith, it's your church. Right. But when it comes to, uh, discrepancies within that institution, when there comes to like actual bad behavior for whatever reason, it doesn't matter the origin, uh, you should be loud about it. You should be loud about it. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just excuse it. Mm-hmm. Um, or just say that, you know, these things happen because it they don't. Um, I think Kate, which you had. Uh, Last week. Last week. Yeah. uh, She claimed uh, that she was an Episcopal. Episcopalian, Episcopalian, yeah. Right. So Episcopalian, again, I don't know much about Episcopalians. You know more than me. But uh, I know females can be priests as well. And I know in certain circumstances, priests can marry. So when you get sex Mm scandals of this magnitude, it's not surprising. People act as if they're surprised. But it shouldn't be surprising that an institution that does not allow their priests to marry and it only allows for male priests uh to uh practice uh, have these sort of scandals you would never expect it from an episcopalian church at this magnitude it's kind of like i, I like to think about how for example uh now there's a scandal about uh, concussions with american football yeah it's not surprising that a sport where grown men are constantly bashing their hands against each other would cause this type of phenomena. It's a
1: smoking argument. Yeah, you would. You it's a you, you were lighting something It's smoking. You were lighting something on fire and sticking it in your mouth. You there's no way you can convince me that you thought it was good for you. You're beating the mm-hmm. hell out of each other, mm-hmm. head first, running full speed at each other. Of course, that's going to cause. No, yeah, I mean, all right, so, so he, you, let me
0: just voice my reluctance real quick before we move on. Is that I'm hesitant to say that grown men molesting children has anything to do with sex. Mm-hmm and I don't think that that's what you were trying that's to That's not work. what I'm saying, but, no, I, no, I, but I, like, I understand but what you sec- Like you think We call it sexually deviant behavior, but I think only on the edges does it touch on sexuality. You mm-hmm. know, It has something more to do with power or suppression, which you can make a similar argument about the Catholic Church as an institution being conducive to uh, disruption within a person in terms of feeling oppressed or that they have no power, but uh, I, I'm so skeptical of the idea that molesting kids has anything to do with sex
1: i somewhat disagree with you yeah i think that there are a certain sect that are that that is their sexual proclivity they are sexually attracted to young people and that's yeah that's it i mean it's a i'll I'll give you that evil in the world but but yeah no
0: there is an emerging body of research that indicates that pedophilia is just another sexual orientation
1: right yes i'm not oh you mean like the the parent the the binary paradigm of heterosexuality and homosexuality i don't know what that means but i mean do you, are you saying that like it's classified into one of those or it's a third sect it's a it's a third. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I would no, agree no, with that completely. But I,
0: that that is a very new body of research. Yeah, yeah. and
2: let's let's Jake, for our for our <laughs> sake, let's yeah. assume that they're right. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Let's, and, let's and do that. they probably use uh, like ancient Greeks to justify their claims. I don't want to. The whole point.
0: I but well, we have hundreds of people that yeah. listen to this podcast. I don't want there to be any confusion oh, about okay. what oh. any of us say. Yeah. Tens, absolutely
1: tens of people will. Pick it. hundreds. <laughs> we're up, up to hundreds. Hundred. <laughs> yeah. Hundred. Okay, the whole the point people. is that it's a. We love, we love you, Dusseldorf. The whole point yeah. is that it's unacceptable
2: behavior in today's society. Yes. And we can all yes. agree on that. Yes, yes. Yeah. absolutely. And I think yeah. that's the point we're trying to make, right? Yes. We also
1: it, The boundaries have also been moved. It was not <laughs> unacceptable to date, um, say, a 15 year old in the early 20th century. Babe Ruth did it. That there it was not a there the the boundaries have been moved to what is acceptable and what's not. We've all agreed upon this eighteen year old philosophy, which I am totally on board with, right. because of the emerging science. Which I'm pretty sure I just proved your argument. But yeah, so yeah. so so
2: the whole point I'm making is it's not surprising that if you have an institution, a global institution, right, right, who proclaims that priests their leaders mm-hmm. right cannot marry because they're married to the institution that's the claim right it's again you can get into the nuts and bolts but the the, the general claim is that priests cannot marry because they're married to the institution and again and this nuns is, this can't
1: is, marry because they're technically married to Jesus is that right which is the church right but I, okay but uh, right so so again we...
2: I, this was very smart from the catholic church because again i some people might disagree with me but i think the reason the church did this because they wanted to consolidate power right if you don't have family members if you're not married when you die all your possessions go to the church Mm -hmm. right so this was a way of them to control and exert power okay but that's besides the point the whole point is that nowadays we have this institution Uh that forbids their members to marry and it forbids the opposite sex females right to be uh, parishioners only male can do that right and from biology we know we know that this behavior is not normal right Is not normal it wouldn't be acceptable under any other uh, other circumstance can you imagine for example if apple had a similar policy if apple told its executives if you want to be an executive here you cannot marry because we need your total loyalty to the corporation we need you 24 7 and then there's a sexual scandal would you be equally surprised or would you be less or more
1: do you know where that came about though that they were married to the institution it's uh, pre-medieval
2: ages. I don't. I don't. I don't know much research about. This is
1: before we had celebrity. This okay. is before we had rock stars and artists and and painters and and, and so on and so forth. Um, priests were the quote unquote rock stars of their community, and well, yeah. they were
2: and they still are in many areas of the world. Sure,
1: but they were sleeping with everyone, including people's wives. Yeah, and the Catholic Church. Had to came up with a way to put it into it. That yeah, was not I, the I original. Have, I the have original read tenet of Catholicism. I
2: have read that in the early stages of Catholicism, yeah, uh, priests used to have multiple, um, what do you call them, like lovers, yeah, uh, and the church obviously frowned upon it, and especially when it, it involved kings, kings yeah. and rulers to impose taxes. I don't want to. I don't want to wanna,
0: don't wanna, uh skirt your point that you just made about Apple, which uh, I think actually landed. Pretty well with me as a free marketeer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'll grant you that point. I think that's a good point. No, no, I would not be
1: surprised. So, so, so. We do, I will say this though, let me push back on that. We do, um, there is a certain advancement that you can make in corporate, I won't even say America, the corporate universe, that there is a certain advancement that if you're not willing to sacrifice time with your children if you're not willing to sacrifice x y and z every aspect of your life to the company you will not advance but and that's a but that, yeah th- and that actually there, is a problem no but that's th- not a there's nothing written that says yeah, you no have to do this doctrine, i would I, I agree with that i mean i'm the biggest it's an informal the biggest, doctrine,
0: yeah. uh analogy i could think of in recent years would be something like peter Thiel, who came out as gay i mean like uh, he, was Teal, gay, uh, yeah, so he was, know, was thrown literally. out of his Yeah, he was thrown out of Peter by Peter Thiel. Uh, by Gawker, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was, what was that, PayPal and everything? PayPal? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, uh, even that, there's nothing, he didn't break any tenets of corporate America. I mean, the, the thing that's brilliant about corporate America, and let me tap my own horn a little bit here, is that it only cares about cash. So, in the terms that Peter Thiel coming out as homosexual hurt his stock, that was the only transgression that he committed but no i I'll, I'll grant you the point that i would not be surprised if there was some sort of uh, pledge of abstinence or something that that corporate america was required to take mm-hmm. i mean you could even extend that to to just the practice of law yeah you know I, I mean, <clears throat> uh, a lot of law firms are just unmet aa meetings if you told lawyers they couldn't drink or do adderall or whatever yeah. you know
1: when I was when i was working in entertainment one of the oldest jokes was you know what the best way to find an agent is go to an aa medic but there was um okay but but you, right, you make so, a you make you guys make a good point about yeah, how yeah.
2: um uh, these type of institutions uh, require a level of loyalty that uh, requires sacrifice from the individual so sure. This is, some, this is the one thing I learned from undergrad that stuck through all these years. The people that cause the most noise, the most dangerous or the most uh, revolutionary people out there are those that actually believe what they say. Mm-hmm. You know, you got people out there saying all sort of things. You got me saying all sort of things. But if I actually believe it, I mean, really believe it, I'm willing to give anything for it,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? So, you know, we're, we're legal, we're, we're legal students, we're law students, right? We're, we want to have a legal uh, a career. Presumably, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How far are you willing to go to become partner in one of the top five law firms in the nation? I mean, really ask yourself that question because I think a lot of law students come into law school not knowing what they want to do. So they look at what pays the best and what pays the best is top law firms and that's what they aim for. Mm-hmm. But there's people who are willing to give everything for that position. They don't care about their family. They don't care about their health. They are willing to go the extra mile. So if that's what you really want to do, make sure that that's what you really want to do. This is just an advice I give out to people because I think most of the times we just go with the current. and We don't stop and think, how bad do I really want it? But anyways, back back to the, the priesthood problem. So what's, yeah. what's the real problem? Because this is not only a, a suggestion. Hey, we suggest that you shouldn't, right? This is a, a mandate. And uh, again, I'm going back to the catechism. There's a concept called in yeah. persona
1: Christi, right? Uh, and it's, I, I've, I've thought of one institution. Oh, we'll get to it, yep.
2: So this is the church uh, claiming why priests have um, the power they do over lay. So it says, answering the question of why the ecclesial ministry, Christ in himself, the source of ministry in the church. He instituted the church, this is Christ, right? Uh-huh. He gave her authority and mission, her being the church, mm-hmm. orientation and goal in order to shepherd the people of God and to increase its numbers without cease. Christ the Lord set up in, church, in his church, a variety of offices who aim at the good of the holy body. The holders of office, who are invested with a sacred power, are in fact dedicated to promoting the interests of the brethren so that all who belong to the people of God may attain to salvation. Here's the key part. I'm not making this up. This is from the catechism. No one, no individual and no community can proclaim the gospel to himself. This is a slap to the face of Protestants. Faith comes from what is heard. No one can give himself the mandate and the mission to proclaim the gospel. The one sent by the Lord the Lord does not speak and act on his own authority, but by virtue of Christ's authority. Who is Christ's authority? The priesthood. Not as a member of the community, but speaking to it in the name of Christ. No one can bestow grace on himself. It must be given and offered. Let me repeat that. It must be given and offered. You cannot find salvation by your own means. You need the Catholic Church. Now this is. Again, I'm going to put a pause here. This is why Daniel Dennett's claim that most people believe in the belief is absolutely true. You go around school and you hear all these kids talking about how they're Roman Catholics. No, they're not. I think they just, they fall in love with the idea of being a Catholic. They're not really a Catholic because they don't understand the gravity of the situation. These people who were hand selected by God to lead them and give him you know, the roadmap to salvation are molesting children. And this is why the Catholic Church fights back so hard. It's not willing to concede even half a step because conceding half a step is detrimental to what they claim in the first place.
0: Well, it's, it's the first crack in the facade. Right. And well, I mean, it, can't, it can't hold up under pressure.
2: Right. Uh, <clears throat> so here's the, here's the pickle that the Catholic Church finds itself in right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, apart from all of these uh, sexual scandals that came up in Philadelphia, you guys covered it perfectly. Please go listen to their earlier podcasts on this issue. Please continue with the shameless plugs. <laughs> you have uh, Nuncio Apostolico, which is just a fancy Catholic word for ambassador. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Carlo Maria Vigani. Right. Mm. He's issued a, a total of three as of today, three public letters.
1: I've only seen two. You
2: guys covered two he yes. published a third one on october 19th and i encourage everybody because
1: we we actually covered one after he sent it to us on the news so was, he's been listening all right sorry
2: go ahead right so when you guys were talking to professor <laughs> breen only yeah. one letter had been released exactly yes uh between professor green's podcast and mine and uh two more came out but yes. uh one of those I sent to you guys. And what did the I, third one say? So the third one is mostly a, a summary of the first two. Okay. And I think if anybody that's still listening should go... <laughs> <laughs> this is dense material, guys. I, I applaud anybody that's still listening. <laughs> anybody is <laughs> not tuned
1: out at this point. Yeah. Right. You should definitely...
2: Forget about the first two. Just go straight to the third. Because the yeah, th- what the third note. does, it's it's it summarizes the... The um, uh, bishop Viganó, uh, nuncios Viganó's claims mm-hmm. against uh, the Pope, yeah. the Pope who is infallible. He he holds the keys to the church. Actually, it actually,
1: has... it actually uh, does to two. It does it to the to Benedict and Francis. Right. By the way, yeah.
2: So so you have so so too, the claim uh, is there's, again, this is very complex. But you know the the gist of it is that there's this bishop or was this bishop, uh, Bishop McCormick who... Um, oh, you said... Uh, Theodore McCarrick. McCarrick, thank, yeah, you. thank McCarrick. you. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. That uh, was known to have had sexual relationship with other members of the clergy. Uh, and some, there's more but not all, it. some claim that he also had some uh, sexual encounters with minors. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's... Let's let's back it up. There's, there's credible allegations of both. Mm-hmm. There's fewer allegations of the pedophilia charges, right. but there are far more allegations so, of the, so, him having and sexual think, relations think, with uh, members of the clergy. When Professor Breen was on, yeah.
2: he did a good job to address the issue of um, the sexual allegations against other clergymen who were of consenting age. Mm-hmm. right? But I think uh, he circumvented the issue of pedophilia. Uh, there is a consensus in the Catholic Church I, that, that might have been my
1: fault. I might have been. No, that's okay. I, no, but I might, have been, okay. I might have been guiding the conversation that way. There's a conception yeah. in the
2: Catholic Church bit, anyway. that the root of the problem is homosexuality.
1: Mm-hmm. There's. He doesn't the, make this. Uh,
2: homosexuality is a sin, right? Mm-hmm. Again, Catholics nowadays try to, you know, be accepting and loving, but go to the Catechism. I'm not making this up. Homosexuality is a sin, and because this sin is infiltrating the institution of the church we have all these problems Mm -hmm. um that's another discussion to have on this subject
1: yeah i have a i have a side point to make i'm not exactly sure what the if this if the sin of homosexuality has not been promoted as more important because in regards to other faiths, and I'm going to jump back to Judaism again because you know it's my show and I do that. Uh, <laughs> the uh, when it, uh, in Judaism, homosexuality is also a sin. So is eating shrimp. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 sort of a okay. Yeah, is it a big deal? Eh. Like it's a it's it's not as major as other. The quote unquote sin outside of the Ten Commandments aren't as major as one. Right. Yeah. And you claim
2: it's not major, but this wasn't clear to you or given to you through Revelation. This is because of the age we live in. If you go back in time enough, sh- eating shrimp was a very big deal.
1: Right, but that, again, that had. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying. Do you see because what I'm saying? Back then, that had. Yeah, right. because when these laws were written, let me back. Back it, then, homosexuality well, yeah. and shrimp were. And the, Very fact, and the fact that they made those it's, laws at the same time, because when those laws were written, it was in order to protect the citizen. They weren't written, they were revealed. What? It, it,
2: it, they weren't written, they were revealed.
1: Okay. So they were the,
2: written through the Holy
1: Spirit. When the laws of Kashrut were revealed, thank you for... Thank you, Catholic, for correcting me on my <laughs> Judaism. <laughs> but when those laws were, were revealed... Um, Yeah, I actually, because that's actually a big point that I just missed, is that went way over my head, because I was applying it to modern day, and I think it's an important point to make. Those laws were written as a way to protection, and and it's actually a far, when you look at the lack of science that was presented in that time, the laws of... I'm going to stop saying the laws of kashrut because most people don't know what means. The kosher well, what does laws. It mean? Kosher laws. Kosher laws. So the, the kosher laws were written. The the idea or revealed, the idea behind them was, again, to protect people, was to protect from shrimp because they're bottom feeders and there's diseases that come with that. Pigs are filthy animals. Um, it, it, we could go on and on and on. Carp is was the the vacuum fish at the top of the sea. Anyway, the reason why those were written was be, was in order to protect people because we didn't know what was ha- Jews didn't know what was happening. All right. we know is people were eating shrimp and then dying. Right. So don't eat, so yes. so so don't eat shrimp because we think they're bottom feeders. Well, that's technology way ava- way advanced. But, but when it, it comes it to, back to my- but let's draw back to homosexuality. So when it comes to homosexuality, I agree with you. There was actually a fundamental misunderstanding i think at the time the laws were written because it was a seen as a threat to promoting the um continuation of both the religion and the species Mm -hmm. but i do see how equating those two and then them being revealed in the same time the written and revealed thing is really throwing me for revealed at the same time i mean they were written but
2: religious people claim that
1: it wasn't through uh right Our but that's a, that was, was a fundamental misunderstanding of homosexuality right. i would agree so with that. I, yeah. and
2: again I, I like that you bring this up because you talk about how you know shrimps people saw them dying and everything it goes back to the propositions i made at the beginning right right if you look at the ones i made five to seven that's exactly what it touches them on which is you know we 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 human okay let me read them so you guys understand what i'm saying because humans have gradually evolved throughout hundreds of millions of years all cultural norms including social political institutions and belief systems are mere social constructs that arise out of the necessity to satisfy immediate needs. The immediate need was people were dying from eating shrimp, right? Number six, however, since our understanding of our immediate environment is limited, our social constructs are intrinsically flawed and thus filled with inconsistencies and contradictions. Eating shrimp is bad, right? Go to seven, as we gather more information about the physical environment around within us, our notion of how we ought to live shifts. In to shift, well, maybe it's not that bad that we eat shrimp.
1: I actually don't think that's correct. I don't think the reason the it was correct in order to not for to not eat shrimp. It was correct to not eat pork at the time. We have since moved to a place where shrimp farming and and pork farms have been able to do it in a. Um, healthier manner so that we're not exposed to the potential diseases. I think I'm going to play into interlocutor
0: maybe in the second half a little bit more than Richard was in the first yeah. half. Great. But <clears throat> in terms of Nico's argument that we have laid out in front of us, his language only says how we ought to live shifts, not that the previous way of living was wrong. Okay. So I agree with that. Yeah, the sh- the, 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 the paradigmatic that. shift doesn't necessarily imply that the previous way of living was wrong i absolutely agree okay. perfect so, example is nazi so germany i absolutely right,
1: right. agree with that too except for the nazi germany part because i don't know what oh. you mean by that oh, what, we'll what, what, what i mean by that is that hold on hold on let, let jake finish what learning. i mean what i mean no, is no, that, I mean, that I nazi, mean, I, no hold on because this is yeah. serious okay, okay but, but.
2: nazi germany was a shift right yeah all it's all i'm a saying is that before what we didn't one. have nazi germany now we have nazi germany because it shifted yeah that does not necessarily mean that it's better
1: That's all I'm saying. Right. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I do want to throw this in there because we're talking about it right now. There is a... um, The belief of should a... This is not... This has very very little to do with this current conversation, but the belief of should a Jewish state exist? Uh Uh-huh. Is it necessary? The reason why Jews... Well, I shouldn't speak for all Jews. The reason why I believe the answer is yes is because of Nazi Germany. Because... Jews can have built up a military and are able to defend themselves. They're, the only place they can freely live is Israel. Now, the argument is they can also freely live in America. Well, the answer, the, the counter to that is until we can't. And that has to do with Nazi Germany because they were the most progressive, the most accepting, the most whatever society and I'm done going off on this tangent here, but it was the most progressive society in that it can still happen there. Back ha- to where you were we going. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a, a whole different whole discussion. Whole I have no, what, about this, I, that's that's I'm gonna, no idea what that has to do with that. No, 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 no. It just touched on something. It's because I, of our conversation. On the I R8. want
0: to make sure that this gets roped back in at some point. Because yeah. all this stuff about the Catholic Church is so interesting, and we could literally spend hours and hours doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. But... No, um, you want to you want to shift to other topics. I want to make sure that you keep going through these okay, points yeah. right. because that might get us back on track. Yeah, but let me. And f- there's I have so much that we have to say about. I that. have
1: one more point okay. about the
0: topic. Okay. and we're done. Uh, the topic being the uh, Catholic Church. Catholicism. Catholicism. Okay, all right. Catholicism
1: so, and the scandals. Right. So, so, right. if, again, I'm gonna
0: let you rack
2: up again, your again, points. I'm not. I'm just referring to what the Catechism says. Okay. Right? Yes. If you look at the Catechism, mm-hmm. there's a section that says the Church's ultimate trial. And I just want to read this
0: portion. The, the church ultimate what? Trial. Trial? Trial, yeah. Okay. T-R-I-A-L. Yes, okay. Trial. Right. Trial. As in, <laughs> as in by jury. Go ahead. Okay. All right,
1: all
2: right. <laughs> so it says, and I quote, Before Christ's second coming, mm-hmm. the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. Mm. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity." in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which many glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come into flesh. This is very dangerous. This is very dangerous because it's a direct attack on people who are um, Not not of a Catholic faith, especially atheists. And it's dangerous because this leads people to believe, and this is something that is uniquely American, is that the end is coming. The end is coming, and you must act fast. There's no time for discourse, there's no time for dialogue. We must take action. Anyways, I just wanted to leave off with that, and then I'm happy to go back to all <laughs>
1: well, the, the times. Original points. They are a change. Uh,
0: <clears throat> I will say that there's always time for
1: dialogue de novo. <laughs> Just so long as it's de novo dialogue. Uh, uh, so, by the way, you mentioned the institutions. Um, the you mentioned the uh, no institution asks of what Catholicism asks of their priests and uh, nuns. I, with the exception of, they are allowed to marry and have families. There are. I, I did think of one institution that.
2: I don't think I said that. that. If I said everything. that, it, I was mistaken. I just mean that in the Catholic Church, they're not meant to marry. Yeah, I, I'm not. I am pretty sure there's other
1: belief systems and
2: religions and institutions uh, yeah. that do not allow their
1: uh, leaders to marry. Right, but did they tell you to sacrifice everything?
3: Um,
2: I don't. I don't know.
1: Okay. I don't uh, know. All right. Well, it's a different point. Let's move on.
3: Okay.
0: You've been listening to Dialogue De Novo. Until next time, thanks for hearing us out. Dialogue De Novo is produced by Richard Labovitz and Jacob Rome. Executive producers Richard Labovitz and Jacob Rome. Supervising producer Michael Kaufman. Technical producers Richard Labovitz and Jacob Rome.
1: Edited by Richard Labovitz.
0: Audio mixed by Richard Labovitz and Jacob Rome. Music written by Jimmy Thomas. Music performed by Bobby Day.
1: Dialogue De Novo is a Loyola University Chicago School of Law student-initiated capstone project. Founded by Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Technical production made possible by SoundCloud. Copyright 2018.